the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Veda Vance with Palladio. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder. Oracle of Garden. Retired gardener. Recliner liner. <laughs> recliner. I thought instead of a hanging basket liner, you're a recliner, recliner liner. liner. <laughs> so if you sit there long enough, you'll start growing I, plants. I refuse to be a, a, a couch potato. So. Uh, yes, because yeah. he stays in the recliner, no doubt. Y'all, I thought I was a fanatic. And I got to tell you this story that happened. You thought you were Well, a yeah, but, but clearly I'm not. And it made me actually no. feel pretty good. Okay? okay, let me hear it. The About a week ago when the weather was really nice. You know, remember, I mean, it had beautiful weather. Yeah. About four houses down from me, not in the cold, but like four houses down, three houses down. The guy was out there, the gentleman that owns the house, uh, in his short shorts, uh, had shorts on, had boots on. Mm-hmm. I think he had a coat <laughs> on, you know, and he was cutting his grass. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> what kind of grass? What part? Dormant Bermuda yeah. grass. <laughs> oh, well, silly me. And I'm like, was anything coming off? I mean, or he was cutting some top of the thatch off. Yeah. But I'm thinking, why mm-hmm. is this happening? What What is up with this? Right. And then I noticed, and he actually cut it down pretty short, mm-hmm. okay? And then the next day, I noticed that his lawn was that blue-green, you know, dye uh-huh. color. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, maybe he thought, since the landscape company or the yard service mm-hmm. was coming out to spray that he needed to cut down or cut off a lot of this thatch that was on his nice-looking Bermuda lawn. I wonder. And I'm like, mm, you know, you and know. He just has early spring fever. Well, now. Y'all, I mean, the, and the lawn was totally brown, Beta. I mean, totally yeah. brown. <laughs> Like, but it made me it made me feel good because usually I'm the first one out oh, there really? to cut the grass <laughs> in the spring. You know, I'm sure my neighbors even then are like, "What is this nut doing?" So but if he had scalped it or cut it low, he did cut it pretty it, low. So then we had this cold weather, I but mean, it probably it, it could damage it. You, know, you want to be very careful doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You, you have although Bermuda looks brown, it actually has some green tissue inside mm-hmm. of it. And you have nodes on that Bermuda, and if one of those nodes gets killed, and that can happen around 8 degrees or so. And it can happen. It still can happen. Uh, It won't have enough carbohydrates to kick off, so it's best to leave it tall until it actually starts to green. Yeah. The other downside is the way that pre-emerges work, they inhibit root growth, Mm -hmm. and it can do the same thing on established lawns. When we had the, the year that it killed all the Bermuda grass greens, it was the people who took care of their yards that had damage. People who didn't ever do anything to their yards, they look fine. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. So the the pre-emerge can actually make it worse. Mm-hmm. Especially if, if you overdo it. If we have those type of temperatures. So that's not something I would normally want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and those, you know, cutting that stuff off with Bermuda, there's not... It's not really thatch. It's you know thatch is more the the underground rhizomes and and or the brown tissue get, at the top. Right, is, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's better to leave it for a little while. I mean, and I was just scratching my head. I mean, I didn't mind seeing it because it reminds me of me at some point, yes. you know. But I'm thinking, okay, well that makes me feel really good because I'm not the first one out here this year, yeah. you know, out there cutting my grass. 
It was having calisthenics, but working it, out. But I, I, there again, I mean, but the next day, his lawn was that, you know, that blue-green, the dye indicator they used to come out and spray. But I'm just thinking, did well, he think that he needed to get out there well, and do that? Now you know? I'm wondering, did, like, the lawn service recommend to do that since they were about, I mean, they shouldn't, but I don't, since they were putting the pre-emergent so. down. I, yeah. I, and, you know, and the reason I say that is because I see that truck in the neighborhood mm. quite a bit, and he's the only one that was out there, you know, cutting his yeah. grass. So I don't know. It just, maybe he was, I don't know. Maybe he was just bored and wanted to go out and That's cut the grass, you know? <laughs> maybe it was a new lawnmower. It was easier to do that than throw his wife out. And, and <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, I go out there and I'm probably the last one to cut my grass in our neighborhood, honestly. You know, because I like mm-hmm. that, you know, that nice manicured, even cut look, even when it's going dormant in the fall. But I'm surely not the first one out there cutting my lawn this year. So it just kind of, you know, just a, just me, bizarre. Just a little just feel bizarre. good on my side, you know. Right. And it is all a timing thing as well. For a lot of things, like when you prune, there's a time for everything. Right now, we do not need to prune anything that's going to bloom this spring. Because if you do that, you cut all your blooms off. Like the spirea is going to bloom soon, the forsythia. You know, there's some years the spirea and forsythia have been blooming almost a month. But I haven't seen any coming out yet. Mm -hmm. But I have seen a star... Uh, Magnolia. Me too. I got one in my my neighbor's backyard in full bloom right now. Yeah, full bloom. I'm like they're usually the first anyway, aren't they? Between the yeah. station here in uh, Poplar Avenue, there's one on the left hand side that's got a good bit of color mm-hmm. on it. I mean, I, I was like, this thing just bloomed overnight. But some of the things that you can bl- cut back this time of year would be, for example, like the crepe myrtles. If you do that. Now, we don't recommend crepe murder. You know, right. you just cut the thing down to the knuckle like every year yep. and have this huge, you know, just a few stalks coming mm-hmm. up and these big knuckles at the top of the stalk. But you can go ahead and start cutting the crepe myrtles back uh, now. Uh, monkey grass, Jim, you know, you made a, uh, I mm-hmm. think I noticed mm-hmm. about that last week that you can go ahead and start cutting it back. Red maples or Japanese maples, mm-hmm. better start cutting on those. You can tip, cut because, the tips if you yeah, need to. Or like clean it out on the inside, get completely take branches off that. Because you see them crossing a lot of times, they'll just do this waving growth. So if you want to take that off, you need to take it all the way to the base. Carefully, because we tell people all the time on Japanese maples, you know, one of the beautiful aspects of the maple is the way that it looks, right? It's a a specimen type Mm -hmm. tree. And if you go in there and just start hacking these things, then you are going to mess up that Mm -hmm. beautiful shape. Yeah, like cutting the ends off. Yeah. You know, know? I see that. I went to a house that had them growing (laughs) over the sidewalk, the maple. I could not find a way to prune that limb off the tree because it needed to have it cleared back but there if you cut it to the trunk that was a chunk of it yeah. i cl- i thinned it on the ends and and all that but it's still in the walkway you kept as much as you could on there right. without yeah and i said if you have to have it out which you kind of have to have it out you're gonna have to transplant the tree or just cut it down, and you can't do that. I, I learned a valuable lesson many, many years ago from John Naka, the great bonsai uh, expert. He was teaching a, a class here that I was in, and I had this azalea I had bought from Brussels, Martin. And, and by the way, Brussels—if you haven't been to Brussels Bonsai Nursery—you should do it on the fifth of March because it's their open house. All right. Uh, but anyway, 
I had this really nice azalea, but it had this limb on it that just was not pointing the right direction. And over the co- a couple of years, I had wired it one way and then so moved So you're making it. a bonsai out of this thing. Well, no, this thing was 25 years old. This one was already a gotcha. nice established uh, azalea. But I kept moving this limb, and I, you know, and finally he, you know, he came around and he looked at it and he said, "What's your problem?" I said, "I just, I don't know what to do with this limb." And he reached mm-hmm. down, and he grabbed my pruners, and one move cut it off. <laughs> you know, and without asking, I went, for it. <gasps> yeah. you know, <laughs> and he said, "If it's a problem, cut it off. Then it's not a problem anymore." Oh, gotcha. And that's a valuable lesson mm-hmm. in life. Just fix it. Yeah. yeah. Get on with it. Off. Don't worry about it. Make mm-hmm. it happen and then deal with the consequences. So you're saying they did with the Japanese maple that had that one limb that was coming off in the walkway. Just get your printers just out. Just cut it off. And cut it off. But you know? then the shape would be ugly. It would just be, it would have a nice shape that's, on that that's side. That's a perception thing. To the no. tree, it's still beautiful. Well, to the tree, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the tree, well, the tree was like, one why with did. my plants this morning. Yeah. Yes. The tree says. Well, why did you prune me off at the cuticle? <laughs> hey, another thing we need to address this morning, guys, and I don't know if, if y'all, and tell me if y'all have heard of this. I've had probably three people this week. Uh, one person even came in, the other two called, and wanted to know why their tissue on their Mondo grass was brown. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, then, you know, it's usually winter damage and whatever. And the guy that I was talking to yesterday that came in said it is more or less over the entire bed that he has. I mean, he's got a big bed of dwarf Mondo. Uh, And the blades are, I mean, they're brown, I'm telling you. And, you know, I said, well, when you get back home, go out there and just kind of grab one and pull on it and just see if it comes right out of the ground Mm -hmm. or see if it's still firmly anchored in there. Now, what you don't want is go out there and kind of tug on it and it comes right out of the ground. Because mm-hmm. then it could be crown rot, some kind of, you know, root disease or a whatever. Mole, a mole, yeah. yeah, and I uh, said so it's probably just some kind of either, you know, winter damage, cold weather damage. It could have been dry, you know, when we had our first cold spell. I said, but and if that's the case, typically people go out there and just kind of cut all that tissue off of there. And he's like, man, do I use a weed eater? Mm-hmm. Or I said... You can't, uh, or you can get a pair of hedge clippers or whatever. I said, you don't even have to cut it off. I mean, new growth will flush back out if the plant is still alive. But I was just, you know, that's the third person this week that has brought up dead tissue on their dwarf mondo. Which is bizarre. You don't get questions like that all the time. Not on dwarf mondo, you we don't. We also don't get ice on it like that most yeah. of mm. the time. I think well, it's probably just damaged. That's what ice. I was telling him. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, still go out there and kind of give it the old tug and see what happens. And hopefully mm-hmm. it doesn't just come right out like of the ground, a, yeah. like ground rot. You know? Right, right. Okay, let's take a break. Y'all can give us a call, 260-5926. And um, just hang on and call with your gardening questions. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If y'all ever wonder what we do on our breaks, we compare pictures of our garden centers. We uh, show pictures of The gyms. person in here that actually gardens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's your gym stuff. <laughs> 
I have to garden every day at the garden center. Jim shows and a I pic- love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And that was a picture of a camellia bloom you just showed us. Yeah. That- and and I was you know it it had some pink on it when we got the ice and I well it's gonna blow those. In fact, it had several flowers. I thought it's gonna blow those flowers apart. But it actually opened up and it's just had a little brown around it. I was real real pleased. That is. Yeah. Man, and I, that's I've the greatest got, uh, feeling to come out and see it wasn't damaged. Governor Mouton is about to open up, and I always look forward to it because I remember February 28th, the last day of the month, and this has been eight or ten years ago now, saw my first hummingbird in February mm-hmm. came in and was feeding on the camellia. So I put my hummingbird food up yesterday. So you sure it wasn't just a colorful sparrow or anything? <laughs> no, nope. pretty sure this is a hummingbird. When he's stand, you know, he's like twelve inches away from me. They're feeding on the flowers. So good so, lord, that's early. Well, it is true. It is, but like, the migration, you know, mm-hmm. depends on the weather. But the migration is about to start. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's see, we we need to put them up sooner than. We used to think, and we leave them out longer than yeah. we used to think. And possibly it's because of weather's changed in Memphis a little bit, where we're well, it warmer. Has over, so. you know, there was, in fact, a, a Nova special about hummingbirds, and it showed around New Orleans where, you know, 50 years ago, they never had them winter there. But now mm-hmm. there are hundreds. I mean, they're there like, you know, they are down at the Strawberry Festival. So they're there year-round, you're They're saying. there all the time. Yeah. So the uh, strawberry Festival is has to do uh, with hummingbirds and all. Down and in you Holly just Springs. said, yeah, right. you just said that they're everywhere. They are. I mean, you know, during their festival, they're. I mean, they're like mosquitoes. Really, you know, that's on, it, it, amazing. It, you know, at Horseshoe I, Lake, it's just you know. Gonna <laughs> nobody ever told me that part. That yeah. really makes me want to go to see that many hummingbirds. Well, I had a lady tell me. She said there's three things that she does to attract hummingbirds. And this was just the other day. And, of course, one is to put up feeders. I mean, that's and that's really all my wife does. She, we don't have a whole lot of, you know, flowers and perennials and, and things out there that they we know they love. But she said one is there's an annual called bat-faced kufia, mm. and they all two know what it is. She said they absolutely love that plant. And it's a great-looking plant, by the way. And it's got a tiny flower, so mm. they it have does. to work hard And, to and she said that. she actually will put a, uh, some hanging baskets out there mm. by her feeders, uh, and they love it. The other one is the black and blue salvia, mm-hmm. uh, which is a perennial that comes back every year. And, Jim, she said, honestly, bat-faced kufia black and blue salvia and her uh, and her feeders y'all she mm-hmm. gets more hummingbirds than she can count honestly yes. any salvia pretty much is good you know um i've done uh, the salvia ugliosa which is the mm-hmm. bog and it's really really attractive to them uh and another plant too is the um Equicetum, uh, uh, Equicetiformis uh, ruselia, the the humming, or what do they call it, firecracker plant. Yes. Has oh, and that, right, to me, that reminds right. me of the kufia. Yeah. 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 Tiny yeah. little tube-shaped flowers, yeah. but mm-hmm. bazillions of them on a plant. Yeah. And they really love that. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see that much for from the wholesalers that I can purchase and sell. I don't see it a lot, but this um, local Local growers yeah. usually have it. Yeah, so you'll I'm, find it at the going, garden centers this spring. Yeah, Greenleaf used to carry it a lot. That's yeah. where I was getting it at that time. Oh, back when let I was me check buying. that out. Yeah, I haven't looked. Yeah, I, mainly because I haven't seen their spring flower availability because it's still a little early. Yeah, and, for and Jerry, flowers. hang on just a second. But I, you know, when she said black and blue salvia, I've always heard you know it's the things that are bright, the red mm-hmm. colors that really attract these hummingbirds. 
Well, black and blue salvia is beautiful. It's got a blue and a kind of a dark purple, almost black-looking bloom to it. But she said they love that stuff. It doesn't have to be red. Okay. Yeah, that's true. We used Maybe to red think to that. them. Might be, Jim. That's a good point. <laughs> it's funny how we think we know what insects and birds and all that really want. And I have good luck with the hibiscus. The hummingbirds mm-hmm. love the hibiscus and geraniums, too. Impatience. It's, They'll feed off impatience. Ah, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at this point, I'm on the patio, and that's what I planted for the hummingbirds was the hibiscus and the geranium yeah every year and just a few come along because i can't put feeders out and all of that so i was surprised that i don't know why surprised i mean on the third floor what did i not think they could fly or something (laughs) (laughs) you know but i was uh really enjoying and they would actually come up when they come up to feed the flowers they would hover right there in Mm -hmm. front of me like like, I don't know why they did. Mm. They just hover right there mm. in front of me. I'm thinking, maybe, oh, that's sweet. They're saying thank you. Checking things out. The um, Yeah, let's go to Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for calling the Mid-South Garden. Uh, good morning. Hey, Jerry. Uh, uh, hey, I'm, I appreciate y'all taking my call. Sure. Uh, my, my yard is mostly green right now over in eastern Arkansas, but that's because it's got weeds. You're right. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Wildflower. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. Winter, winter flowers. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, I, I, I know I need to go ahead and put out some pre-emergence, which I should have already done. Right. But I was wondering if I should just spray all that with Roundup, and then when should I start trying to get my Bermuda seed back down? All right, starting with the pre-emergent, you're exactly right, Jerry. This is a perfect time of year to get the pre-emergent down. Um, okay. And then come back if you can in about uh, three to four months and reapply it. Okay. That's just the best way to do well, it. Well, not if he's going to do Bermuda seed. Well, no, but you're right. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, is, uh, and I, you're right, Jim, is um, as far as spraying Roundup on Bermuda or Zoysia this time of year, even though Bermuda and Zoysia looks dormant, Jerry, it's not completely yeah. dormant. Now, I don't mind people going out there and just spot treating with Roundup. Yeah. This time of year, but there's an illusion that people have that they can go out and spray their whole lawn this time of year with Roundup and not do any damage to the lawn. That's not necessarily the case, especially with the warm weather we've already had. So I would not recommend that. Right. So yeah, you that's have. Why I'm asking. Yeah, right, if, right. if you have, you know, less than 10% good grass, everything mm-hmm. else is weeds, then yeah, Roundup's yeah. a good idea probably and just do yeah. a renovation. But if you've got some desirable grass, I, I I would not I would I would put your your pre-emerge down like you're talking about now. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and spray something that's got trimac in it. That'll take out all of your broad leaves that you see right now. It'll get everything okay. except your annual uh, annual bluegrass. And the product that I love is called Weed Free Zone right. or Weed Beater Ultra. Both of those products it only has to be above 45 degrees to work. Okay, Okay. and it's not going to hurt your grass at all. But Jim made the comment about your Bermuda grass, though. If you're going to come back and put seed down, Jerry, people start that usually around mid-May, okay? It's got to be hot for that Bermuda seed to germinate. But you, if you put a pre-emergent down, you better mark on your calendar. Do not put any seed down for at least three and a half to four months. Okay. Right. Well, then then maybe I, well, 
Maybe I should just spray the lawn this year right. and try to pre-emerge it next year. That's right. Good, well, good idea. Get yeah. an early start on my lawn. Yeah. That's right. In fact, you would be able to do a pre-emerge this fall to stop what you see right now. So, okay. you know, you'll uh, you'll have your Bermuda well enough established by then. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, when, they, when you start seeing them planting cotton, then you can plant your Bermuda seed. Okay. All right. That'll work since I'm right next to a cotton seed. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, right, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for the All call. Right. I appreciate you. Thank I, you, buddy. I would also put, I would get a bulk load of compost from a, a topsoil, you know, somebody that carries the bulk loads of topsoil and mulch and rock and all of that, that's a good place to get it. But get a truckload of compost and spread it out on your lawn, too. We always forget to do something for our lawn, uh, whether it's add the compost or because you kind of have to prepare your lawn like you do a flower bed or a landscape bed. I mean, you have to think about the fact that you want to add some good soil. Also, because that, you know, the better the soil is, the deeper your root system can grow, too. And the less issue you'll have with weeds. Because, you know. They don't like good soil. (laughs) Of course, now, if you've got, you know, an acre and a half you're trying to do, it may be cost prohibitive to do that. But, you know, for most homeowners, though, if they'll do, you know, like uh, Bayless said, spread that compost and then get a, a soil aerator and run across that and just pulverize their soil and drive that organic matter down into the ground you'll have so much better mm-hmm. success with your with growing uh, grass from seed than if you just go out there and sow it on top of what looks like concrete mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah because it does doesn't it and then also you want to keep that going as well but you're probably not wanting to do compost every year or another time of year so use that humic acid because it's like uh, the carbon that comes out of the soil. And so if you do the liquid or the granule humic acid, then you don't have to work so hard with a whole load of compost raking it and raking it. All right, let's give us give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. Can we just listen to the music? You know, yeah, and, and Jerry, the gentleman that called a while ago from Arkansas, I mean, like he said, his lawn is green because he has weeds in his lawn, right? And typically he probably has Bermuda because he wanted to oversee Bermuda uh, this summer. But, you know, three points. One is you do want to wait till the nighttime temperatures are steadily in the 60s or above before you start sowing Bermuda seed. Secondly, and it happens every year, and I want people to understand this, but we're talking about the pre-emergence also. You cannot put a pre-emergent down and turn around and put grass seed down. It will keep all seed from coming up, including the grass seed that you put down, okay? And most pre-emergents have a residual of at least 90 days. That's at the minimum, okay? Even with a lot of rain, you're still going to probably get three-month coverage. Yeah, and if you're using something like pendimethalin, which is in some of the, uh, the chain store products, it's going to be even longer. So, uh, oh, you know, yeah. I would be... I would be leery at five months, probably. Well, depending on what you're using. So, yeah. And then thirdly is, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned Trimac, Jim, uh, and, you know, weed-free zone, weed beater ultra, those type of products. They he, do. 
Sure. No, go ahead. Uh, even those you need to spray, you need to wait at least 30 days before reseeding. Yes, absolutely. But they do a really good job of killing broadleaf weeds, even in cool temperatures. Uh, like I said, the temperature needs to be at least 45 degrees or above. No rain for at least 24 hours. And you'll have to spray more than one time. But those products, unlike Roundup, you can safely spray on what you think is a dormant-looking Bermuda mm-hmm. lawn, right? Uh, and, and not harm the lawn. Now, there again, if I'm using something like Roundup or a Roundup-type product, I don't mind going out there and just spot-treating some chickweed or a little bit henbit or whatever I might have. But I'm telling you, this whole misnomer about going out there and spraying your whole lawn down with Roundup because you think it's dormant, Nine mm-hmm. times out of ten, Jimmy, you've seen this. It's not. Yeah, I remember years ago, uh, if you remember Ann Blacken, it used to write for the commercial appeal, the garden. Or, uh, and they had a beautiful zoysia backyard, and uh, and uh, beautiful, her husband went out there in the middle of the wintertime because mm-hmm. he thought he could uh, zoysia was dormant, and he could just spray the whole thing, kill all the weeds People out have of done it. it. Killed every bit of it, you know. <laughs> you know? So, well, also on pre-emergence, that. we think that the first time we put it down, it's going to be a hundred percent, a hundred percent no weeds. But it takes a while, a couple of applications, maybe a year or so, to get it to where you're not having weeds. Because I've had a lot of people purchase the pre-emergent, put it down the first time ever, and then frustrated because a few weeds came up, and so I'm like. Did is it as weedy as it was last year? Right. Like, no, it's just a few weeds, and I put something down so the weeds wouldn't come up. And you're like, well, there's always not a hundred percent at first, but you've got to get it in the system but, of the. And I think it's yeah. two things involved in that. Also, I think timing is the biggest thing with pre-emergence. A lot of people don't understand that you've got to get the pre-emergent down before the weed seed germinates. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it does. It True. keeps the seed from coming up. And a lot of people miss that uh, that timing mm-hmm. pretty bad. And that's why we like to do it four <clears throat> times a year so we don't have to study the soil temperature. And uh, Because one thing, our soil temperature fluctuates yeah. a lot. On the surface, it yeah. really does. It, it, it will warm to 60 degrees on a, on a cold day just mm-hmm. because of the sunlight. Yeah, but, I mean, that happens to us. Yeah. If you're in the shade at 40, it's so cold. But if you go out in the sunlight it, or in the sunshine at 40, it feels like 60. And weed seed will start to germinate when these soil temperatures start to warm up a little bit. And, you know, we're, we're already selling a good bit of dimension, the, mm-hmm. the pre-emergent that I like, because you can use it in the lawn. You can also use it in the beds. But also, Veda, I know that you like, if you go on the organic side, you can put corn gluten, corn gluten meal down. Now, with corn gluten meal, uh, if you want to get a pretty good uh, control of weed mm-hmm. seed the first year you put it down, put it down at like 20 pounds per thousand square feet. You put it down a little heavier uh, than you would use it, say, as a typical lawn yeah, food. Because it's a great lawn food yeah, also. Because usually they're saying 10 pounds per square feet. Foot. Yeah, but it, about 20, twenty pounds per my, thousand. Right, is starting it off, and you get a little bit of little bit of nitrogen out of it. I was looking at a um, agricultural brochure, I guess is the word, with all the different types of fertilizers and things that they use through. And after I started looking at it, I realized it was all organic. Yeah. And they did have corn gluten meal in there. But one of the things is, is the price is still really difficult to overcome. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I still 
kind of have to go with that dimension because it's so much more cost effective and it's not horrible to your environment, not horrible to your soil. Corn gluten meal, I, I would probably do something like that in my vegetable garden, maybe in my flower beds, just because I'm wanting to use, uh, as they call it, earth-friendly things as well. But if I had a big lawn, there's no way I could do that corn gluten meal on a whole lawn. Well, which is a shame. It shouldn't be, you know, that costly in my opinion mm-hmm. because it's just a byproduct of corn. But it is. It costs mm-hmm. more. But, but corn gluten meal, is a, it is actually a fertilizer because it's got nitrates in it. And it is a, uh, the enzymes in there <clears throat> inhibit uh, weed seeds, so it's a pre-emergent also. It's a, it's a really good product. But if you read about corn gluten meal, like you alluded to a while ago, Veda, if you don't put it down at a little heavier rate, you can't expect to see the... Uh, the pre-emergent results right. Uh, right off the bat. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> we, we sort of had to learn that because they really mm. did not rec- say that on the label. You know, mm. if your yard's weed-free, then just use 10 pounds per square foot. But if it has weeds and you've got mm. an issue, then you need to double the rate because then the, <clears throat> the price goes way higher because you're doubling the rate. Well, and then... Well, a, even a recommended rate, I mean... You're going to spend for dimension <clears throat> what twenty five bucks to cover thirty five hundred square feet. Oh, max. probably twenty dollars, Jim, to okay. cover about three and to thirty five hundred. You're talking about a hundred dollars or yeah. so to do it with corn gluten. <clears throat> so I mean, it, it's you know easily five right. times as expensive. And yeah. The, I guess the good thing about having that available, I was trying to itch my eye and I took off my headsets. Itch your eye. So I could scratch my scratch eye. Right. I got my no. headsets wrong. Ears and eyes are messed up today. Um, but on the corn gluten meal, I do like to, a lot of people find it worth spending extra money for the corn gluten meal (laughs) just because they, they may have asthma or bronchitis and they're not wanting to have any little thing because smells too can set them off. So I can see paying the extra money for that. Uh, Preen has, has, Preen has a lot of different varieties, but they have a corn gluten meal. It's the organic Preen. Yeah, but I'm going to use that, you know, in my vegetable garden or around plants, flowers, things like that. But for my whole lawn, can't do it. And also, just throwing a, you know, just a caution out there, not even a caution, just a heads up that fertilizer is going to cost a little more this year. (laughs) Oh, my word. I mean, it's it's amazing how... Understatement of the year. I mean, some of the, some of your, even your, just your typical 612-12s, triple-13s, ureas, those just basic Mm -hmm. uh, fertilizers. I mean, the cost right now uh, is is typically what the retail has been, okay? Yes. I mean, that's just how much they've gone up. And I guess anything with petroleum products, and Mm -hmm. it's it's gone through the roof. Yeah. So lawn foods are going to cost more. You know, your typical fur, any Mm -hmm. fertilizer is going to cost more. Now, everything on every shelf in every store well, is going to cost more. Yeah, that's true. A lot more. It's it's so yeah, just be prepared, guys. Getting uh, our houseplants from Florida, the freight's up. It's like 40% of, of your cost of your order. Mm-hmm. For, you know, so I'm, I'm going, okay, I'm getting this order, but freight's 40% off. <clears throat> well, you can't eat that, you yeah. know. So y'all just be ready for a little bit of sticker shock. Well, I don't know. It, it's went up, but it's not horrible, horrible. It's just that it went up Every, because everything's going up. It's like going to choose. I need some heat or I need some flowers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you yeah. Know. 
take a look at a, a product that we buy a lot, like at Costco, is bacon. It went from $10, and then the next time we went, it was $20 yeah. for oh, the yeah. same package. Now it's dropped back down to 17 so it came down a little bit. But <clears throat> things like chicken going to go through the roof. Uh, beef is going to go through the roof. Pork is going probably going to be your best option. It's not going to have as high uh, just because of, of feeds and mm-hmm. stuff. So, uh, just uh, you know, we are we are moving in the highest inflation rate we have in fifty years. So, so uh, yeah, just be prepared. I mean, yeah, it, the fertilizers are going to cost a little more than they they have mm-hmm. in the past. Well, but, I had um, a girl come, a young lady come into the garden center, and I said, "What?" Um, she goes, "I'm not don't do gardening." I'm here to get some house plants. And I said, well, when you get your home and, and want to do something outside in your landscape, I can recommend some shrubs. And she said, no, I am going to use all my space to grow my food hmm. so I can eat because all the food's getting expensive. I'm like, well, you're going to do a big garden. But if it's only you, one tomato plant you know, yeah, if you're one really, or two will yeah. keep you well. You know, the one little miniature will keep give you more tomatoes than you need. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. you know, a squash, a couple of squash plants, yeah. that'll give you what you need. I did see something the other day I thought was really funny, and I said I normally don't talk about expensive trips I take, but I just went to the grocery store. <laughs> 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 you know, oh. golly me! Yes. Oh, that's funny. And, Okay. Now you're just bragging, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to run off to a break, and in the break, start thinking about your gardening questions. You can watch us on Facebook Live. If you're, if you're uh, Tell your friends there's a podcast if they can't get up this early, and the Facebook page. With the Mighty Jim's 990 the, Facebook page, and then Jim's Mid-South Garden Mid-South Facebook Garden. page. And, and, and coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about one of the things we have in our file section there, hardy ferns, and many of those are evergreens, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Mm. Good morning, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260 also, if uh, you can't, if we keep going in and out, go to radio dot, you know, dot com, and you can mm-hmm. stream us that way too. And also, and tell me again, because y'all told me a thousand times, KWAM Radio is nine ninety on the AM dial, one hundred seven point nine on the FM. And is it at night that the L-film is better in the day, the AM's better? Yes, that's true. You get, you get a wider range in the AM during the day because okay. at night they have to really crank their power down to not interfere with Canadian. Um, that, so it's cell- the power's that strong. Right. Yeah, The power, during, at night you get a AM moves, frequency moves a long way. Yeah, okay. Sun stops that during the day. Uh, FM is pretty much constant all the time, so... Uh, you're more likely at night to get a good signal on FM than you are at AM. Okay. And then, uh, but but right now, further with the, with the during the day, you up, get you, AM. Okay. All right. So the mighty yeah. nine ninety nine ninety on the radio dial or one hundred seven point nine FM, and then Betty, you said the mighty nine ninety Facebook page, and then kwamradio.com dot com mm-hmm. uh, is where all the podcasts and everything you can find all of that. Yeah. So there's a million different ways to to tune in. Yeah, we had a note too from Wendy Johnson said that you know the the hummingbird that I saw at the end of February might be a rufus and I hadn't thought about that you know mm-hmm. it, it, what'd you there, call me uh, rufus well <laughs> Jan called the two of you Abbott and Costello so you know 
<laughs> Rufus that. is okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Um, we're seeing more and more Rufus, and I've heard that there have already been reports this spring in Kentucky, uh, and, or this winter in Kentucky and East Tennessee, spotting Rufus. Now, is and, that a type of hummingbird? Yeah, it's okay. a type of hummingbird. We're seeing more of them here. Used to, all we saw was ruby-throated, but um, but mm. even even they say some of the ruby throats may be wintering even here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they go into a, uh, to a state of torpor, torpor, or yeah. whatever, and and inactive just, state. Just wait until it warms up. Uh, so anyway, but. You know, get the. It's time to get a feeder out because you know they're going to start moving northward, mm-hmm. and um, I've had so much better luck getting them through the season when I get a feeder out early. And yeah. I don't know if how they tell their friends, but they know to come. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Animals do communicate, which you know I've known that all my life. Oh yeah, the, but About, then I just. Was cruising through the channels and got on some type of history channel, animal channel, and they're saying there's proof that animals communicate oh, with each other. I'm like, do. y'all studied all that? They I can, just my call dog me. communicates with me about ten to five when he's supposed <laughs> to be, starts pulling on my shoe. Right. You know, get right. out of your chair and feed me. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, like the trees even talk to each other. They do. The roots intermingle. The things that go. Sometimes you need the roots close to each other. For the um, symbiotic relationship between the soil and the root system and all these other things that happen in the soil web that we still have no idea. I mean, we never knew there was a billion, is it one billion, four billion microbes, microorganisms. Like in a gram of soil. Right. And those things do so much in the soil just to be that tiny. How? Well... I, I kind of understand now, but it's like, how do you count the microbes? And I guess it's like you ha- how you can't the je- count the jelly beans in the jelly bean yeah. jar. You kind of say, okay, bigger. this much mm-hmm. right here. And then multiply that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how you count. But how do you even see those? You know, well, you know, we can see with microscopes now, we can see atoms. I mm. mean, you know, incredible. So yeah. And this is just either going to be fungi or bacteria, you know. So. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot so, of stuff going on in there that we never think about. Right. So that's why, because we never even thought about the soil web at all in the past. <clears throat> One thing <laughs> is, is when we all started the heavy gardening or the um, not thinking about the soil was pretty far back. And the soil was fine then because it was undisturbed and we weren't building subdivisions and subdivisions and they weren't taking the tops off of, you know, a foot of soil and leaving the hard pan. So a lot of times you didn't have to think about (coughs) soil as much. And then when we planted too, it was more shrubs and things that lived here because the availability was not like, I mean, we have the the luxury of pulling plants from everywhere. So now we've damage the soil or taking the soil away or planting in suburban locations where you have to amend your soil and now we're all learning about the soil web and what kind to use you know not dirt but soil big difference between a dirt and And then of course you know nitrates are, are what a lot of the microbes are feeding on um you know, whether it's organic nitrogen, whether it's, you know, inorganic nitrogen or synthetic nitrates. I mean, that's that's their main food source. But another thing that, you know, we talked about this quite a bit is that we are, a lot of times we overlook is just the pH also. Uh, I was reading something uh, a year or so ago that 
you know, we typically for a lawn around here, just a basic lawn, Bermuda Zoysia Fescue, we typically want a pH between 6.2 and 6.8, 6.5 being really ideal. But if you let that pH get too low, Mm -hmm. uh, it's more beneficial for the fungal mycorrhiza where a higher pH is more beneficial to a bacterial mycorrhiza. And that's uh, some new knowledge there as well. But the big thing is uh, some of your fungal mycorrhiza can turn into a problem, more of a problem than your bacterial fungi. So that's why just simple pH, keeping it up where it needs to be, can actually not only promote better growth, but in, in essence, it can actually reduce the amount of potential fungal problems you might have something that simple right you know yeah and that was one reason i liked uh organic products because you didn't have to guess as much because you're putting everything everything the soul needs you're you're putting in there uh monthly or quarterly and you get pretty close to hitting every micronutrient, every mineral. And then, of course, I switch around, too, because if you're always using one type of fertilizer, you're not getting all the other, pro- or the other types of micronutrients and microorganisms. So, uh, you know, like I've still hear that cow manure is... Just that's almost all you need yeah. is cow manure because all the nutrients. And then I've heard on organic people getting into, well, what cow did the manure come from? What did the cow yeah. eat? You know, and but then what was that thing that we found out some of the cow manures you can't put in your compost pile because of something they had eaten? And then no. you put it in your compost pile and it... uh Poisons other plants. Did you ever hear that uh-uh. before? I've got to look that up again, but it was something strange. But most manures, yeah. whether it's chicken, whether it's earthworm castings, whether it's cow manure, sheep manure, cricket I mean, manure. Yeah, I mean, all of these are broken down manures into good, rich compost. And I've never heard yeah, of that. That's any. what they are. They're compost. They're not a substitute for fertilizer, right. though, because by the time you compost most of these things down, in 100 pounds of manure, you got less than three pounds of actual fertilizer, mm-hmm. as we think of fertilizer, right. you know, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash in it. So it, you still need to fertilize. You know, it really helps your microbes, as, as, mm-hmm. as Veda so uh, adamantly is after, uh, to fix. So, <laughs> But so, they still um, need the nitrogen to, to feed. But And also, mm-hmm. and I, was, I wrote this down last night. I wrote down... Um, you know, lime, which is what calcium and magnesium, and then I wrote down gypsum, which is calcium sulfate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still think if they put gypsum down, it does two things to really soften our soil, Veda, mm-hmm. uh, Jim, and also it raises the pH. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't raise right. the pH at all. No, and it's uh, in our type clay, it is not the right thing to put in. And we will be back after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you want to stream us, you can now, radio.com. A personal thank you to Palladio Garden for 
and Dan West for helping sponsor us all these uh, years. And I mean, you know, since we've been here at KWAM, we do appreciate them believing in us. Thank you, Of course, Jim. you know, the fact that she works there kind of yeah. helps. And then Kenneth <laughs> works at, what did you call it last time? I'm Dan West with <laughs> Kenneth Mabry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember saying that? It's like after all this time. Oh, yeah. Even after I, I falls out of the chair. I after I retired, I danced on the phone at the house, Dan West Garden Center. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, me yeah, too. Exactly. <laughs> I've done it many the, times. Giving out the wrong number. Um, while we were on the organic topic, there's one thing that a, a tenovate. Eight yeah, mm-hmm. and it's made with uh, streptomycin. Da 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 da. That's the that means <laughs> the rest of the word, <laughs> streptomycin. And we've uh, used that forever, you know, and and uh, to take care of fire blight. But it's also great to it helps the soil. It helps the uh, beneficial <clears throat> fungus. So you know, as you were talking, how did you change the pH, and then the uh, makes or makes the fungal issues better, or the bad fungal issues? It makes them uh, take over. But you can add the streptomycin to your soil, and it actually because it's good fungi, it also helps create that symbiotic relationship with your plants and soil. So you can. And I'm seeing that they're using actinovate also more freely in um, agriculture and probably, you know, the smaller places. But the one good thing is organics will become a little less expensive by the reason that we're using them so much more. Mm. And at this point in time, since they don't have to use all the petroleum to make the organic products, that could put them in competition with the synthetic, but but then it takes more the cows, and they're giving us greenhouse gases. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, in the uh, like the espoma and all that, it's a big mixture of soft rock phosphate, green sand, alfalfa meal, chicken manure. Mm. Actually, I don't think I've seen cow manure in there, but no, it has even bone and blood. Yeah, and even though, see, that's another thing with the chicken manure, because the, all the chickens are in these farms that are squished together. The The animals are just squished together. No, there's some free range out yeah, there. Yeah, right. There's they some, say. Right. So, um, but you know, in the organic industry, they're supposed to, or they're trying to use things like the manures and all that that don't come from the chicken meals. I guess, you know, the free-range chickens and all. I don't care about where the manure comes from. Now, if I'm Uh eating a chicken, I don't mind eating a free-range chicken. I really don't even mind eating a Tyson chicken. But where the manure comes from, I don't care where that chicken is growing, honestly. (laughs) Y'all, I've got a text uh, from Phyllis. uh, Stephan, she's listening to the show, and she just moved in uh, to Memphis, the Memphis area, uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, which was a zone six. And she wants to tear out all the overgrown shrubs that are in front of the house. And she said, can we give her some ideas on what to replace it with? Um, she said she's just lost on what really grows well here, and she really appreciates the show. So, say, Phyllis, thank you, babe. Did she say sun or shade? She didn't or, tell us that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so we can pick plants that can kind of tolerate both. Yeah. yeah, I mean, most people, when they're pulling out all the overgrown shrubs that have been there forever from the front of a house, right, mm-hmm. and they want that brand-new, nice, manicured look, which I can't blame them, to be honest with you. Um, you know, typically people want some kind of little evergreen, you know, it's just yeah. something 
simple and something uh, you know you can shape into a ball or square or just let it naturally grow, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jim, or let it naturally grow. <laughs> and, and you know, some of the first ones that come to mind would either be some type of the boxwoods or some type of the hollies. Now, the boxwoods could be you know the wintergreen or the mm-hmm. baby Jim boxwoods that are extremely hardy, could take a lot of sun, full sun down to even filtered sun. Some of the hollies would be, you know, your compacta hollies, your yopon hollies, and those kind of things. And to me, those are just kind of like the little bones that you put mm-hmm. down. And then at the corners, you know, and maybe beside the front door, you know, you put something a little taller there, and then something at the corners of the uh, of the yeah. house. And my uh, choice. She sent a second note here. It's sunny. All right. No, so she did. She you. okay. Thank you. So Thanks, fellas. My I would use ornamental grasses for my type of landscape. Ornamental grasses. Distillium still, but the smaller one. I love yeah. distillium. Yeah. One, one of the best things that you can do is, uh, of course, you can post pictures on our Facebook group. We'd love to see it, and you'll get a bazillion different mm-hmm. answers and give you some plans to look and at. And that's Mid-South Gardening on Mid-South the Facebook. Mid-South Gardening yeah. on the Facebook group. But if you'll take pictures and then go to your local garden center, yep. okay, uh, that way they can see the heights of your windows. Mm-hmm. They can, You tell them, hey, it faces you know due west or, or south because that will make a difference on you know mm-hmm. reflected heat off the walls i wouldn't sort of even thing. mind if you brought some samples of your soil right in. that's that's the other thing bring mm-hmm. samples of your soil you know and think about your garden are you an avid gardener mm-hmm. are you a low maintenance gardener yeah. you know Good no point. i see let yes. me say this real quick i that see what a it, difference it says she moved actually from memphis to louisville which is uh, now Zone 6. Oh, okay. okay, I was looking at just oh. the opposite. Okay, fellas. Well, zone the same thing six. with yes, whole tree. it does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's what most people do. They'll just take a mm-hmm. picture of the front of their house and go to their like their local garden center and say, look, guys, I'm pulling all this stuff out. I'm new in this home, and I want to start fresh. And, and most of the same, you know, wintergreen boxwoods and baby gym boxwoods mm-hmm. and compacta hollies and We're ornamental grasses the they'll do mm-hmm. just fine in louisville kentucky just as well as they will here yeah now you know when we tell you to go to a garden center we're not telling you to go to home depot or or lowe's we're telling you to go to an independent garden center who's been there for years they know the plants in the area and they'll have plants appropriate mm-hmm. not what they want you to have okay yeah you got a very minimal selection at the box stores it's great for some people you know mm-hmm. to go in buy your color if that's what you want to do and you know but if you're wanting advice and you're wanting good advice go to your local independent garden center yeah and okay. then really the only way i mean and then of course mid-south gardening on facebook page jim but i mean there are you know landscape architects that can come out there but a lot of people just don't want to spend that extra money unless they've got mm-hmm. a fairly big project yeah. And I don't can't blame them. You know, it's kind of the way I think. If mm-hmm. I'm doing just the front of my house, I'm thinking, okay, I can do this myself. Yeah. Or have somebody do it, but I don't have to have a landscape architect out mm-hmm. here to tell me exactly what to do just on the front of my house, which you surely can do. Don't get yeah. me wrong. And a lot of the garden centers have landscape designers. They're not architects, but they'll spend, you know, if it costs you $100 to sit down and spend an hour and a half mm-hmm. with them. Uh, let them draw you out yeah. some stuff rough. It's well worth yes. it if that's what you're wanting down the road. Right, and a lot uh, of ar- landscape architects are actually, you know, an architect draws buildings, an mm. architect draws streets. So an architect is drawing a beautiful design, <clears throat> and then they fill it in with shrubs, but they're not a shrub 
people. Yeah, Charles Sandifer, who's a, a well-known architect, landscape architect here, told me, he said, you know, they train us really well, but he said, we don't know a lot about plants. Yeah. Right. We really don't. And in fact, in, and we've become fairly good friends through uh, Mid-South Gardening, you know, and he mm-hmm. sends me stuff, you know, what is this plant, you know, so... Um, they're very yeah. good at what they right. do, but yeah. plants are not what they do. Yeah. Well, they're design. Yeah, yeah. Like in uh, when I lived in Central Texas, Bryan College Station, and was it George Bush's library that's yes. there? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were providing plants for it, and they had in the specs 50 blue fescue. We're <laughs> going to Central Texas. Yeah. So hot. Been and beautiful. In Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, oh, and I, and I told them, I go, are you sure this is not going to do good here? You're fixing to spend a lot of money. You know, let's do something different. Nope. That's what the specs said. Yeah. And that's what they had to use. And I gave them my card and I said, call me back when this dies. And we'll supply you with something better. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> well, but I still think, um, you know, typically with Phyllis, though, is, you know, just getting your, your initial evergreens in there. And most people do want evergreens on the front of their house. I'm not saying you can't mm-hmm. sprinkle deciduous plants in there and put some annual color you in sound there. Sound like a fairy. You know, yeah, I mean, but, but for the most part, Are you, you, get, okay, your, you get your bones in there, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, but you still don't want this same plant, you know, from one end of your house down to the other. Well, uh, you, know, you know, and you probably did this way too, Jim. You put your specimen plants or your bone plants in first, like in different areas, and then work off of that. It's hard to landscape one corner and then work over. Yeah, yeah. you know, and like, like I say, when I moved, when I bought this house in, in uh, Bartlett, it had landscape timbers that were rotting, and it alternated uh, wintergreen boxwood and golden euonymus oh, in God. the shade. <laughs> okay, two of, two, two of my, uh, well, golden euonymus, I like all plants, but something uh-huh. has to be at the bottom of the list. Yeah. That one's that it. Well, it's point. down there with poinsettias anyway. <laughs> um, so, <Amen. laughs> so um, I had to take all that out, you know, and I'm such a fan of hydrangeas. And, you know, that's pretty much what I had all the way across the front of my house. Mm-hmm. And they were beautiful. They yeah. were. But, you know, during the wintertime, it's pretty barren. Yep. So went back in and thought, well, you know, I'm just going to put camellias in here. So mm-hmm. I ended up putting, I've got 11 camellias, I think, across the front that are spaced with hydrangeas between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I came out and did some beds around the trees and did ferns and hostas. And, and, you and know, then he turned his whole yard into a bed. Then I planted some <laughs> azaleas in there, you know, and I just, you know, and then, yeah. So just beautiful. Just, it, and well, I'm I sure think so, but Kenneth is not. It's not what Kenneth yeah. would do if it mm-hmm. were his yard, and and I appreciate him, you know, so if much. If somebody else landscaped your yard, would you go more with that, with d- breaking it up differently? Or are you just you like probably not? And that's yeah. that's fine, you know. Yeah. We all have the what we like. That's right. And I mean, uh, you don't have like monoculture where you just have one variety of shrub. I mean, it still sounds like you've got all different kinds I of mean, things. I mean, I do. I mean, you know, and Phyllis, so hopefully that will help you, babe. I mean, really, the main thing is just take a nice picture, a couple pictures, mm-hmm. and take it to your local garden center. Let them show you the different shrubs. You know. Because I do that quite a bit. I mean, I'll just line some different shrubs up, and it's up to the consumer mm-hmm. to say, well, I like that one, yeah. and I really don't like the, the way this right, one looks. Right, right. 
there's a lot of things that will work, but it's just a matter, do you like the shrub that you're putting in there? She could go with more mm. of the, like the bowling ball uh, juniper, the Hetzai junipers. Right. And, and, uh, and things like yews. Yeah. Oh, she There's a whole world of different upright and, mm-hmm. and round yews that you could. Y-E-W-S. That would be great in Louisville. We always put them in the shade, but they do take full sun. Yes, and they, they would there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, so let's go to a break and give us a call at 260-5926, or you can post your questions on Facebook Live. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. If you want to I give love us a y'all call, to death. y'all are just so fun. 260-5926, 260-5926. And of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a yeah. text right there, Miss Veda. You know, you know how I'm always wondering why we say things. Yeah. Why do we say love you to death? I don't want you to I don't want to love you to death. But no, that means love you, you to until yeah. you die. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. You can't listen. It's not like squeezing death. them until they're breathing. That's they what can't I'm breathe. thinking. <laughs> what? I love you to death right now. Okay. Uh, I got. Oh, that does make sense. Love you too. Yeah. Oh, so have okay. I been doing it wrong this whole time? Yeah. Yes. Claire. <laughs> yeah. Claire. Yes. <laughs> 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 Oops. She said. Quite a few boyfriends, too, so I don't... What? <laughs> no. They're all dying. Gotcha. I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, hey, real quick, you know, let, me, let me make a point. It's like you know, if you cross the Clintons, you end up committing suicide. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, something, Jim, love you to death. You know, we were talking early in the first hour how uh, my neighbor down the street was cutting his his Bermuda lawn this early in the year, and I was, I was just kind of shaking my head because it made me feel good because usually mm-hmm. I'm the first one out there. But I was uh, writing down, you know, during the growing season, you really don't want to cut your grass too short. I mean, and that's so many people do it. Oh, yeah, growing season. We've got yes, yeah. So, the, so you're supposed to cut to three inches. Well, and they're depending going on the type of one. depending on the type of yeah. grass you have, you know, if you've got fescue, especially fescue that we typically grow in a more shaded environment. You want that fescue really as, I tell people as tall as your lawnmower would go, mm-hmm. but at least three, three and a half inches. The more blade length that you have on fescue in the summertime, the better off you're going to be. You never want to go out there and scout fescue. That's one. Hybrid Bermuda, mm-hmm. which is different from common Bermuda, okay? Hybrid Bermuda, you can go anywhere from half an inch to an inch. I mean, you can mm-hmm. actually keep it at that. Uh, I mean, look at the golf course right. greens. Yeah. You know, they keep it at, you know, one a quarter inch, maybe. I bet you but would like to. You have to cut it every day. Yes, you do. Yeah. And there's a lot of maintenance involved in that. That's right. But I'm just saying, but with hybrid Bermudas, you can go a little closer to the ground than you can with mm-hmm. common Bermuda. I common, bet you wish you could see some grass on the I golf know, course. I know, Lord. Common Bermuda <laughs> still needs to be at least one to two inches. You don't want to go ever go any closer uh, than that. So, just this this year, guys, depending on the type of grass that you have, do it's not good to go out there and scalp your lawn during the growing season. And it's not good mm-hmm. to keep your grass cut at a short, you know, mm-hmm. height, shorter than what it should be. Well, it's yeah, conserving and, moisture and shading the roots. Yeah, now if you want a putting green, 
you can keep your Bermuda grass a half inch, a hybrid, Bermuda. hybrid Bermuda, a half inch tall, but you are going to have to cut it every mm-hmm. day. If you let it grow more than that, when you cut it, it's going to be brown, and it actually burns carbohydrates to replace that green and weakens the grass. Mm-hmm. So if as long as you're willing to mow every day, that's, that's right. fine. Same thing happens with fescue. Mm-hmm. If you cut it in the middle of the summertime, even mm-hmm. if you cut it back to three inches, it wants to replace that mm-hmm. grass. And so it starts using those carbohydrates and it's dormant. It really doesn't want to grow in the summertime. Yeah. Warm. So you stress your grass by cutting it. I know how tempting it is when mm-hmm. it's 100 degrees outside to want to walk under the trees. You know, yeah. you're mowing along and it's, you just mow slower and you walk through the tree, through the shade, and then you speed up when you get out to the ground. So really, again. so don't even cut your fescue in Absolutely. the summer. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because yeah. uh, again, it's conserving moisture because it's taller. Um and conserving your energy, too. And you, it, you don't mow it unless it starts to lean over on mm-hmm. itself. And that's, and that's during usually the growing from, season. And that's usually from drought. Yeah. And when it starts mm-hmm. to lay over, you're not watering enough. Because the fescue, if you don't give it two inches of water a week, it's going to do that. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good time, or fescue's a good time to use compost uh, down before you put the seeds Add compost to your soil still if you have the fescue. Um, Use the humic acid uh, because you're wanting to build the soil up so the root system can go deeper. And we really would like that to happen with the fescue. And uh, I had a client that had patches of fescue. She had been trying and trying. So we just filled in those patches with a good amount of organic matter, seeded. And since it had more soil to dig the roots into. And then over time, when organic matter breaks down, it starts breaking down that hard pan soil. So too. it actually lived better through the summer mm-hmm. than it than it had been. Right. You and know, out in Oregon where they grow fescue for seed, it gets four feet tall, you know, before wow. it goes to seed on you. But it also has roots that go four feet deep. Right. Mm. So, you know, they have very extensive root systems. And here in our soil... If it goes three or four inches deep, you're really mm-hmm. lucky. And maybe, yeah. and that's yeah. a maybe. And that's just because we don't normally prepare the soil any. If we run a core aerator mm-hmm. across it, three or four inches is about as deep as we get. Yeah. Even if we till six to eight inches is about mm-hmm. as deep as we get, but we can't do that with trees in there. Well, right. Jim, so is it really our soil? I mean, because you drive to St. Louis or Kansas mm-hmm. City, you can see fescue everywhere. It's absolutely beautiful. It grows in full right. sun. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful up there. Well, yeah. it's the and you can stick your arm down to your elbow in the soil. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, but is That's it the humidity here also, yeah, or is it? Yeah, heat, it's humidity, humidity, soil temperature mm-hmm. is, yeah. is one of the primary things. Yeah, too. yeah. And, and even though we're putting in shade, it's still not giving it quite enough coolness. Right. You know, when you get up there, you have have the roots competing with that grass because it's mostly out in the sun. Mm-hmm. It grows mm-hmm. in the shade, but here we have these huge trees. You know, we have, this is a forest. It should be a forest. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the, the competition for water and nutrients is just huge yeah. up underneath the tree. And then you don't want to supply with more water to make up for the, the fact that the tree's taking it. Because you can actually water so much that it becomes detrimental to the tree. Yes. So, you know, be careful with that. Don't just keep watering and watering because you're trying to keep your grass or your landscape even moist. But then all that water is percolating down through the soil and, and staying on the root system of the trees well, too long. Well, and also with fescue, you know, it's, it, it is the grass, and we've said this a million times, that would typically grow under the shade trees where Bermuda and Zoysia won't grow because of the lack of light. Mm-hmm. 
The best time to sow fescue is in the fall. The next best time to sow fescue is in the early spring. But you need to get the weather permitting. You want to get that fescue down as soon as you can this spring to get it up, get it growing, and get somewhat of a root system on it before it gets hot this summer. It's the heat that's the nemesis of fescue, you know? Yep, that's it. So basically... I I love mm. I do I love that look of the green under the tree the the um, beautiful fescue grass in the winter time when everything's no, dormant but <clears throat> I would still plant ground covers instead and apps you know the one that I like the most now is the mondo grass the thin taller one not the dwarf mondo right. but regular mondo yeah because <clears throat> the dwarf mondo's like what half an inch off the ground it's like a little mound yeah. a little tuft and it's got its place like between walkways but i like the taller mondo and it kind of leans over and blows in the breeze and from a distance it can look like a lawn oh, under it the tree. most definitely does yeah and uh that's like one of the best ones i like now if you're wanting for that situation but there's also you know, vine, so. you know, there are also ground covers that are more viney, whether it's Asiatic jasmine, whether mm-hmm. it's Finca Minor, whether it's English ivy, you know. Mazis, Repton, sedums, those sedums, But yeah. the beauty of a ground cover is, now it costs more initially to put them in, mm-hmm. but once they're in, you know, it's really, it's really no maintenance yeah. involved, per se. Uh, where fescue, you know, you have to overseed it perpetually every year. you got to keep it watered in the summertime, mm-hmm. keep the leaves off of it. But either way, they're both, you need something up under that tree. Right, exactly. And we'll talk more about that and so much more. Post your gardening questions on Facebook Live or call us 260-5926. morning welcome back to mid-south gardening so if your plant leaves are turning yellow it might be because it has too much water too little water too much light (laughs) too little light too much fertilizer not enough fertilizer (laughs) or maybe your plan is just a mm mm-hmm who doesn't want you to be successful and happy (laughs) where did you get that from it's just nothing but the truth yeah you know yeah i know but can you imagine somebody brings in a yellow leaf to the garden center and you Mm -hmm. say well it could be too wet well it could be too dry well it could be too much fertilizer well it might might not be enough fertilizer they're just like they're gonna look at you like you've lost your mind you know Uh, I had a text. Well, I did have one. I'll get back to it here in just a minute. Go ahead, Vade. I'm sorry. I lost so, it. So, um, uh-oh. Yep, hang on. I'm, I'm getting, it, I'm getting <laughs> it back up. <laughs> we were talking on the break and um, about, like, how we don't like dead air. No. And no just, a, just a second or so is okay. But Kenneth is so good at making sure we don't have that dead right, Here we go. But um, now, now. Yeah, now that you're talking, I've got <laughs> yes, this. Right. Uh, John Hagler, he uh, sent a text and he said, if you, you know, have Mondo grass used as a ground cover under some of these large oaks that you were talking about, Beta, just mm-hmm. the Mondo grass, whether it's the dwarf Mondo or regular Mondo. And then, of course, in the fall, you get all these leaves that drop, of course, from the oak yeah. tree. Um, you know, what's the best way to remove the uh, the leaves from the Mondo without damaging the Mondo? Well, a couple of things you can do. One, you know, a lot of people just take bird netting and put across it. 
wait for the leaves to fall, then just pull the whole thing up, and that catches almost all of them. Now, that is just brilliant. No, and the other now, thing— No, hold on. The bird netting, they'll put it down in the fall. Right. Before the leaves just start coming right. down. Right, as they gotcha. start, and you put And it's it not going to hurt the Mondo. Nope, and you can't see it even. It's, it's black, and it's right. so thin— uh, from the streets, you won't be able to see it. Yeah, and yeah. then just yank it off when it's when it's uh, done. But and the other thing is with mondo, you can just take a blower and go in mm-hmm. there and yeah. do it. It you won't hurt the you mondo. You can rake and, it even. Y- yes, mm-hmm. you can without doing significant damage yeah. to it. So uh, it's you know it's other things like Asiatic jasmine that it's more mm-hmm. difficult to get. The leaves out of it. Anything that's viney, you know, whether it's English (laughs) ivy, Asiatic jasmine, vinca minor, it's really hard to get in there. You almost have to get in there with your hands and just physically remove a lot of that debris. Those are the ones that it really works well to use just bird netting. And the the thing is also, you know, that would be good for English ivy because if you get so many leaves packed in the bottom, then it gets that fungal issue. So I'm saying you almost have to get in there with your hands and right. get it out. So then that's very, that's a good way to keep the leaves out is putting the cloth or the bird netting down. But make sure you don't leave it because their English ivy is going to grow up through that. Oh, and absolutely. And you try to pull it off, then you've got issues there. But then some people can have, English ivy under a tree forever and have no problems. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you look in their environment versus the other person's environment, their environment may be more sterile where they're not getting all the leaf drop from the trees mm-hmm. where the other one's got leaf drop all the time. So a lot of times the reason why somebody else's is doing better than yours it's first because it's always greener on the other side. Well, yes. But secondly, <laughs> always. it's because their environment's going to be different some kind it, of way. It also matters on the type of oak leaves that you're talking about. I you know, that. When yeah. I've, got, I've got on one side, I have two huge oak trees in my front yard. I didn't plant them. They were there when I moved And they in. made it through the ice storm and all that uh, stuff, Jim. Had a little mostly dead wood come out, but okay. no, no significant damage Good. at all. Uh, but one is a water oak, which has mm-hmm. a leaf just slightly larger than the willow oak. Yeah. And the other one is a red oak, which has a big leaf. Yeah. The big leaves don't tend to fall down in that. Mm-hmm. It, they blow over into somebody else's yard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the willow oak, because they're, I mean, the water, the water oak, oak they're so small, they fall right down into the ground yeah. cover. Mm-hmm. Now, I have people that will not plant a, a willow oak or a... Because of the leaves, water, a water yeah, oak. Water oak, willow right. oak, water they're harder oak. to get I, up. I mm-hmm. happen to like them. Uh, I yeah. think they're, they make good mulch. Now, I, I back about six months ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to buy one of these little electric chipper shredders mm-hmm. so that I can grind those up and yeah. use them as mulch. Thought a great idea. It'll take a limb up to about two and a half inches or so. Uh-huh. So I, I got it, got it out there, and Carol and I spent, you know, several hours packing this stuff in there you know and and then when we pulled the little tray out from underneath there it wasn't much smaller than it was when we put it in the gym because oh man it, it, well the leaves are so small they're just you know, thin they went right through the yeah. chipper yeah but but bigger leaves would get bigger leaves yeah. would, but you know you have to pound them down yeah. through there because mm-hmm. the holes are small so that you don't put your hand down in it so you have this little compressor i mean little plunger without a lid on it thing that you push down in there and uh, you know it was it's it's really cool but it's kind of a total waste of money yeah especially (laughs) for that so you know if somebody buys a house it comes with it (laughs) there this is how i shred leaves but but it's it is fairly important uh to keep 
ground covers, including the Mondo that John was talking about, pretty well debris-free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the leaves that fall down, I mean, if they just cover, uh, they hold a lot of moisture in there. You can get some root rot, some crown rot things going on, uh, whether it's ivy, Mondo, whatever. Um, but whether, Jim, that's a good idea about putting, you know, some kind of just a bird netting down mm-hmm. and just remove it when the leaves have come down. Yeah, well, and sometimes you have to do it a couple of times because, yeah. you know. Yeah, get thick leaves. But a, but a good yeah. blower, though, is worth its weight in money, too. Yeah. I mean, it'll blow yeah. a, it'll blow leaves right out of that, that right. ground or cover. Or some people mm-hmm. say, I don't understand. You come and blow my mulch out with those big <laughs> blowers, and then you add more mulch. I'm like, well, we didn't do that, but you see that. They just blow everything out with the big blowers, and you have to have add more mulch all right well changing subjects and jim i know he wants to talk about this one perennial that i love honestly is uh, a hosta you know and another perennial that i really love is a fern and, and so how many ferns do you have in your yard Kevin? jim i'm yeah. telling us what i was just talking about i don't have any ferns <laughs> in my lawn even though i've got a bed i don't have a lot mm-hmm. of shade either so there but i do yeah. have a bed back in the corner of my backyard it's got a mimosa tree which mm-hmm. you know is a whole other topic love, within itself love, which i love yeah. my wife wanted one so mm-hmm. there it is <laughs> i want to put some ferns back there under this mimosa tree in that back corner that's shaded got a bird bath back there the whole bit but you're telling me jim there's some really pretty hardy even evergreen yes. ferns. Besides that, autumn ferns. Besides autumn fern, But, autumn <laughs> but to fern me, the autumn is, fern is the ultimate it's fern. It's a tough one to beat. You know, I have mm. them around the base of both of these oak trees, and they're planted six inches off the trunks of these huge, mm-hmm. uh, and they just do fine. I mean, they compete with the tree beautifully. Mm-hmm. Now, this year, they're a little more bronze because of the ice on them uh, than they normally are. They're normally a good green through most of the winter. Um, but I have people stop every year and, and comment about them uh-huh. because they're up about you know, 20, 24 inches tall. They're beautiful all the way around that tree all winter long. So you're telling me when it gets down to 20 degrees, that fern is still, I mean, you might get a little burn on when it, it but, but for the most part, it is still an yeah. evergreen. Yeah, it, even when it got to zero degrees, oh. it was still mm-hmm. evergreen. You know, <laughs> it's, it's that ice one. that turns them a little off color. And particularly if you have ice and then get sun on them, uh, the ones under the tree on the right side of my house mm-hmm. get more sun and they're a little more uh, golden brown okay. than, than the ones that are in total Now, shade. do you cut them way back in the spring? Right mm-hmm. now is when we cut and start to cut them back because in another 30 days or so, the new fronds are going to start up. Mm-hmm. So we'll go in and just shear them, them off at the ground. Throw do you do all it that every away. year? Yes, I do on those, mm-hmm. yes. Now, there's some that you don't have to. Uh, I've got some Korean rock ferns that are another beautiful evergreen fern that are in elevated planters by my by my water feature. And those don't have to cut them back pretty much. The, when the brown, when those old leaves turn brown, they just go away oh, pretty much. Okay. So they're not much of a, a problem. And that's a them. Korean rock fern. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, and an all-time favorite, you know, is the Christmas fern. Looks like a Boston fern, mm-hmm. you know, and it's another one. One that here shortly, you, you don't have to cut them off, but they will dry and be up underneath it. Yeah. But there are shield ferns. I've got a shield fern that's by my front door that's right now three feet tall, hmm. beautiful evergreen. Um, so are, would, I mean, so I got would a, you... a log fern. It's evergreen, but it always falls over in the wintertime <laughs> and just lays on the ground. Would you I rather guess have that's a... why it's called a log? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather have a shield fern, Jim, or an ostrich fern if you wanted a taller fern? Well, well, of 
because I want evergreen, I'd rather have the shield, the shield fern. fern because yes. the ostrich fern is going to die down in the winter. Right. I have a European ostrich fern in the secret garden, uh, and but it's only a couple of years old, so it hasn't really gotten very big. But it's it's beautiful. But it's you know I like I like some evergreen. Oh, I agree. Me but too. But I've got you know. I've, in fact, if you come on to our, our Facebook group, go to the file section. I've got a, a file there called Hardy Ferns. There are some 75 or so species or uh, cultivars of hardy ferns for this area. Now, a couple of them you'll have to do, you might have to do some adjusting with pH because there are a few that like nearly alkaline soil. And that's hard to believe because most right. of them don't mind that acidic right. some, soil. Some of the brake ferns, you really need to get, in deer ferns, you need to get that pH up. But most of these just do really well in our soil, giving good woodsy soil and, and drain well. Mm-hmm. Uh, us, the, the one exception would be the brilliant, uh, the autumn ferns, they were anywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're just yeah. as I tough as nails. Yeah. yeah. But if you go to go to the section, you'll see all of these. I have at the very end, there's a list that has the common name with the uh, botanical name. So you can look them up if you want. And, and the ones that are evergreen or semi-evergreen are marked with an X so that you can tell which one. Mm-hmm. And there's about cool. 35 of those that are either evergreen or semi-evergreen here. Well, thanks so. for putting that list together. It's, it's yeah. a good list. So, yeah. so that way you can kind of broaden your knowledge on ferns and because uh, i mean autumn ferns we of course we carry those we stock those and those go the fastest mm-hmm. um but uh, you know like that's the problem that people have with their shade garden in the winter is there's nothing right. but do the autumn ferns do the helleborus right and even sacred the lilies one of my favorite it's mm-hmm. uh for evergreen foliage it's called uh, what it's the sacred lily mm-hmm. rodea uh, it uh, has beautiful evergreen foliage. Uh, don't have to do anything to it. Nice. Uh, and I've got, I uh, just planted about a year ago, a new d- a dwarf variegated form of it. The one, Most of the ones I have are up about 18 inches right. tall, have strap-like foliage. Uh, this one has a variegated one, but it's only about 8 to 10 inches tall. And uh, and it's, it seems to be much slower spreading than the other ones. But That's anyway, I'm excited good. to have it. But they yeah. are good evergreen but, plants. And I agree, but because when, when I think of a fern, I think of them dying down or dying away, kind of like a hosta in the wintertime. But you're saying not so fast, Jim. There are actually yeah, quite so a many few of them, varieties yeah. that are completely evergreen that do that yeah. do perfectly fine here. You know, and so many even of the eucharas, you know, That's, yeah, yeah. I was about are to evergreen. That. Now they took mm-hmm. a mine took a pretty good hit with the ice on yeah. them, but are they're already popping new growth again? Mm-hmm. And the uh, heuchera though doesn't like wet soil or actually rich soil. I see they like it a little bit on the dry side, and the soil doesn't have to be really yes. composted. And if you're going to grow euchre in the soil here, make sure you get one that's a, a euchre velosa or a cultivar hybrid of it. That one is native to the southeast. It grows in the mountains of North Georgia just beautifully, uh, and it's the only one really that does well in our soil here. Yeah. The velosa all, uh, cultivars. Right. All the rest of them, great container plants. Right. They'll come back there. I've got some in pots on my front porch, never water them during the winter, and they come back beautifully yeah. every year. You know, yes. <laughs> so they're yeah. tough as nails. We have some caramel, caramel yeah. hookera. That's planted. a velosa. Yes. That's a There's good so one. many on and the market now. it's planted yeah. with the boxwoods in Citronelle, a big container. Citronelle, the, the yellow one, that one's a good yeah, velosa hybrid. that one. 
Uh, so there, it's there's a whole lot of things that are evergreen. You know, yeah. uh, one the of my grass. new favorites is the uh, Epimedium Sandy Claws. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean it's it's got a, a, a thorned leaf like a holly. Yeah, I mean it's really a unique Epimedium. Uh, but it's evergreen. That, um, that's a beautiful. I mean, epimedium in general. Yeah, yeah they're really nice um, they have perennials. Cute little, cute little blooms. Yes, it's so worth but it. But it's masses of them when they are in bloom. So. Right. So, but on the ferns, though, you, you know, you want a soil that's high in organic matter. Uh, you want it to hold some moisture. I mean, you don't but want to not let those wet. Most yeah. of them don't so like well, wet soil. Good high in organic matter, but well drained. Yes. And if you want a really pretty one that spreads and it's not evergreen, look at Japanese beach fern. Mm, I mean, mm. it's really aggressive. It's the short equivalent of really the, like the one that Kenneth was talking about, the sensitive fern. Mm -hmm. Uh, It spreads really quickly, will tolerate some sun. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous little fern. Oh, I like the foam flower also. Yes, oh, the hucarella. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. There's a hucarella, a hucra, and a tiarella. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you're saying, all right, so ferns, I know we've got to go to a break. Ferns are great for those high shade or shade environments. Hostas, mm-hmm. you mentioned epimedium, yeah. you mentioned some of the Lenten uh, roses. roses, the hellebores, and then mm-hmm. some of these um, hucaras and tiarellas. Which are, to me, you know, they look the yeah. same, you know. Oh, And there's a couple of more, but we better go to a break. First, we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we were talking about shade plants that uh, work in the shade. Or actually perennials that that come back every year. Evergreen. Um, Look for the Carex, C-A-R-E-X. Look Mm -hmm. for those. And the Chorus, A-C-U-R-S. Did I get that right? A-C-O-R-U-S, yes. Yeah. So a Chorus and Carex. Look for those. A Chorus is one that will appreciate wet soil. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a bog, actually a boggy type plant. Yeah, you can yeah. grow it as an aquarium plant underwater. Mm. But um, it is a beautiful. Nice. Looks like monkey grass to me. Stiffer blade, mm-hmm. uh, usually yellow and green. Very yeah. variegated. But I mean, talking about great looking accent like, plant. Yeah, I like to plant them snuggled up next to rocks or in mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, one just kind of in your bed. No, you kind of <laughs> have to have it around other things. Around your water garden, right? Yeah, that's Jim, right. You were just, yeah, that would be pretty. And you're saying the Carex, uh, Veda, that you also put in mm-hmm. high shade. and Yeah, like the yellow, the butter yellow one. Yeah, that's ever real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so that one definitely adds And that looks like pop. a dwarf ornamental grass. Yeah, yeah, that definitely adds pop to your landscape. Um, John, the guy, the gentleman that we were talking about a while ago, that uh, Jim, he said he loved the bird netting idea, by the way, to keep the, uh, the leaves off of his mondo, potentially mondo up under the trees. But he said he had a follow-up question uh, as far as planting Mondo. Uh, is there anything as Mondo seed out there? Never seen it. Me either. No. I yeah, mean, it's, it's it'd be great. By, it's grown by offshoots, yeah. you know, even in the production nurseries. So. And that's what we always say, John, that when you're, when you're using ground covers, the initial cost is going to be more because you're buying individual plants. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and, of course, you know, the further you space them apart, the longer it takes to grow together. The closer you put them apart, the more it's going to cost, right? But that's all. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. You can go either way. But, uh, no, there's uh, I've never seen, you know, most of these ground covers, I've never seen seeds for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen 
ground covers or the Mondo grass and four inch pots and people will divide the four inch mm-hmm. pot up and plant the little um, starts. Yeah. But, and, oh, that would take forever. Well, and then, you know, when people are putting ground covers in uh, under in a bed, uh, I mean, you can go anywhere from one per square foot up to five per square foot. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on how thick you want it to look initially mm-hmm. and just know that you know the further that you space them apart just the longer it does take to grow together but you still get a nice look even at one per square yeah. foot you could come in there and lightly mulch in between all the ground cover and give them a chance to grow uh now the ones that are viney like the asiatic mm-hmm. jasmine and mm-hmm. the english ivy and the vinca minor they will actually grow together at a much faster rate than something like dwarf mondo will, yeah. okay? The, the plus side of those is they're not picky about our soil. Yeah. You know, they run right across the top of it. So, yep. you know, you can have the worst soil in the world and they'll still grow across mm-hmm. the top of it. Whereas, you know, if you're doing mondo grass, you you got to improve that soil. Yeah. You know, and it spreads so slowly. Mm-hmm. Those, a juga, um, Pachysandra, mm-hmm. they're slow to spread unless mm-hmm. you improve the soil. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you fix the soil, they'll go through kind of like nutgrass. They'll, they'll spread <laughs> pretty quickly. But, yeah. you, you know, just doing a little site prep when you're planting them, nah, it, it's going to take... You know, your grandchildren will see it yeah. fill out. See that? Yeah. <laughs> like when we plant it between True. rocks, we've got uh, good soil between the rocks because mm-hmm. the rocks are sticking up like an inch or so. And we plant the Mondo in that, and it spreads great because there's water next to the flower bed. The soil's better. Mm-hmm. So it's going to spread quickly, like you were saying. But we've put it um, on a slope before, slight slope. And didn't do as much soil prep, mm-hmm. and it was definitely took much longer to spread. So a slope is also hard to prepare your soil, though, because mm-hmm. it runs off. So then I'm thinking your best thing is something viney. I mean, you could use Carolina jasmine mm-hmm. as a vine. Mm-hmm. Well, in I've more never sun. I've seen it, but yeah. I mean, it almost grow anywhere you put it, yeah. but most people use it on a trellis or a mm-hmm. mailbox or whatever. But it will crawl across the ground, you know, especially if it's a more sunny area. Yeah. I, I wish somebody would do that so I could see actually. Well, well, I guess it looks the same as it does climbing up a wall. <laughs> It'll look the same laying down. And can you imagine like a whole <laughs> slope full of the yellow blooms? No, I can't. Which would be well, only two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, years. one thing that I have seen is the Florida jasmine used mm-hmm. on oh. banks you know, particularly a little further south where yeah. it's a little hardier. And it's spectacular when it's mm. in full bloom. And that's more like a shrub, a yeah. weeping little weeping shrub right. that has blooms all over but it. But if you've yeah. got a, a little south of here, if you've got a really steep slope, that's a good option. I love Florida um, Jasmine. Yeah. Forget about that one. Okay, we've done two hours, but yay, we have another to go. We will see you in the next hour. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We are here with our third hour and loving it thoroughly because you can never talk enough about gardening. 
I'm Vader with Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers here in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman and oracle of the South. And would, would you call him, Vader, in the first hour of the, or would you say you were the... Uh, the uh, I'm a recliner liner. A recliner yeah, liner. Yeah. Not a couch yeah. potato, but a recliner liner. Yeah, that's where I do my best work. Oh, uh, <laughs> And we like to thank Miss Claire for being our producer. She's here every Saturday morning uh, keeping us in line, Vader, and it's always appreciated, so... Uh-oh, she's fixing to sneeze. Um, hey, a lot of things to talk about. And, Jim, we, I know we were talking about the ferns and the perennials and all that. Veda, it made me think of you this mm-hmm. this week. Young lady came in, and this happens, okay, quite a bit. And we've talked about it before. Lady came in, and she's had a house plant in a container forever, mm-hmm. okay? Still alive. Not by a lot, but it's still yeah. alive. And she said that she needed to add more potting soil to her mm-hmm. pot because she said, my potting soil is disappearing. <laughs> it's like yeah. well, no one is scooping the soil right. out, you know. It's just the 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 microbes are just eating away at at the organic matter. So and then it, it's the plants taking yeah. the organic matter, and it's breaking down into smaller particles it, and getting it, less airspace in it, and it gets mm-hmm. compacted and all that. That's right. And I said, mm-hmm. listen, the best thing you can do at this point, I mean, you can of course take it out and repot the whole thing and put new fresh potting soil in there. She's like, I don't want to do that. I, I, want, I want the easy way out. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, the easy way out is going to be... Throw it away. No, get (laughs) it. Yeah, might as well. Get like a pencil or a pen or a screwdriver and just poke a few holes down in the Mm -hmm. soil and put a layer of of earthworm castings on top of that soil. And, you know, with, when you're poking the holes in there, that, that, those earthworm castings would kind of make their way down through that root zone. And I said, now, don't go in there and put six inches of yeah. earthworm castings on top of your soil where you're, you know, burying the crown mm-hmm. of your, your house plant. So, um, you know, it, it really is a great product to use as a top dressing yeah. for your house plant. And it doesn't smell. No. Okay, so think about in the container, here's another good way to find out why your plant may not be growing outside. Like Jim was saying, that was a good point. It loses its air pockets. It just gets flatter and flatter. So normally when a plant's growing really, really well, you could pull the whole plant out and the root ball. Mm. And then you could put soil underneath it and then set it back down in there. But if you lift it out and there's no roots and the soil falls off, it's your soil that's the issue. Right. Your soil compaction from it is holding so much moisture, your roots are rotting off. So, you know, you need to, you need to repot it. And, and usually that's what you want to do. You, mm-hmm. you never, and Kenneth hit on this, you never want to put organic matter up on the stem of the plant. Right. That, that is at the surface because that's where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I have seen so many places where they've, they've built houses and they've gone in there, you know, and had pine trees and they went in there and they put like a foot oh, yeah. of soil Leveling. on top of I've it. seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, you know, you really can't tell other than the flare of the tree has been buried. But then, you know, you get three years down the road and the tree's died. It looks like a light mm-hmm. pole coming out of the yeah, ground, right. you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's real important that those roots stay near the surface for air mm-hmm. uh, and and not get organic stuff on that trunk. Yeah. I, I mean, this, uh, go ahead. But I was going to say, but even healthy house plants, I still like the idea of using those earthworm castings yeah. as a top dressing. Uh, it, it really makes a difference in adding mm-hmm. that composted organic matter back to the soil. Because if you do it 
occasionally that actually helps it from <laughs> lowering in the pot yeah you know getting smaller because you're adding something to the top which works it way is that way down and so when the plants break and the uh, microorganisms are breaking up the soil and the soil's being absorbed by the plant or the nutrients that the microorganisms break down when you're adding on top, you're refilling the soil yeah. and then poking it down in the holes. Too. Well, and let me say this, because houseplants are such a big deal now. I mean, everybody is, I mean, people, it's, 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 it's huge the way people are buying houseplants nowadays. And, you know, we always say, you know, you want to get a container that has good drainage, of course, and you want to get a good high quality potting soil, because there's a lot of cheap soils out there on the market. You know, and I don't mind even mixing earthworm castings in with my soil when I'm planting yeah. or repotting my house plant at that moment and let me just say throw this out there too real quick is everybody's going to overwater something at some point in their life but typically people are constantly overwatering mm-hmm. their house plants yeah i watch their eyes get big when i say you could in the winter you can go 10 days this is wet you can go two weeks you mean not every other day and that's what they're saying oh that's what Mm -hmm. happened i water it too much yeah so keep that in mind too guys also pay attention to the container you got you know so many people will say oh this is a pretty little house plant you know and it's in a nice little ceramic container and they take it home that ceramic (laughs) container doesn't drain okay (laughs) it looks nice on your kitchen table but that water that you're pouring in there is building up around it and and it Mm -hmm. takes out air it your roots die and so your plant ends up over time going backwards so important that whatever container or if you have a decorative cover that you can lift it out pour off any excess water after 20 minutes or so Mm -hmm. and put it back well i had a lady come into the garden center about a week ago and she had the nice pretty you know decorative pot and then she had another little pot that was sitting in that pot Mm -hmm. but the plant was in it and of course the plant was dying y'all when i took the plant out of the pot that had no drainage whatsoever okay you could actually see the white salt line oh, yeah. on the inside of the pot <laughs> where it never drained. And, it, you know, plants are just not going to thrive right. in that, those kind of conditions. Right, because that was one of the reasons for these containers that have no holes in the bottom is so you can do your house plant in it and it doesn't drain all over the table. No. But then they don't... and. You're not planting directly in it. You're just setting your pots in the one. It's just, it's just a decorative right. pot that your pot is setting yeah. in. That's and all then it nobody's is. thinking about the fact that it's full of water under there. And I'm saying it like that because we have so many houseplants to water at work. And trying to train people to water properly is so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll find it because I'm telling them water and then take the uh, plant out of this container and let it drip dry yeah, for 15 right. to 20 minutes before you put it back in there Yeah, because you're just letting it sit in that water that's well, it's kind of like orchids a lot of times when you buy an orchid a really pretty orchid from kroger or fresh market mm-hmm. wherever you get them from okay oh from independent garden centers. independent garden centers you've got an orchid that's typically growing in a just a clear plastic mm-hmm. pot okay but that clear plastic pot is sitting in a really nice pot okay another yeah. pot that doesn't drain so you know when you pull the or take the orchid out of that really pretty decorative pot and you water it you you know you still want to let it drain mm-hmm. before you put it back in there and a lot of times people especially with these orchids they're out there watering these things and never taking it out of that mm-hmm. pot and they just too much water is not a good thing right right our thing is most people 
uh, are buying it just for the look right then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, because we talked about orchids uh, a couple of shows ago, how when they're finished blooming, what do you do? They with go to them? the compost yeah. pile. But they do have pretty foliage that you could do a. Oh, you could do a container outside for shade, and you could push those Not in this there. Time of year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Mention that, and then you would have really neat foliage and possibly have it bloom again. Mom kept one inside, took it outside in the summer. It bloomed back and forth. But I told y'all that if you if you do it the right way, uh, and we lucked up and did. You know, Gina had an orchid. Yeah. (laughs) Underline exclamation point. I mean, Gina had an orchid that bloomed, honestly, y'all, for about five months. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, it kind of blew me away that they would bloom that long. But we would make sure, and she'd water it, I think, once a week. But she would take it out of that container, of course, and and not use ice cubes, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people tell you to do. She would actually use, you know, room temperature water. It's better. Yeah, instead of freezing the roots with uh, ice cubes. But she would water it, let it drain really good, and then she'd put it back in that pot. And she would just do it once a week. But uh, it's amazing how long uh, even just an orchid, you can keep it blooming. But the same thing is true for houseplants in general. You know, we're not telling you not to water. You have to water but typically nine times out of ten when people are having a problem with these houseplants, they are just putting either too much water in there or they're having inadequate mm-hmm. drainage, just one or the other. You know, yeah. go ahead. Or they're not watering properly. I see so many times where they're not even giving the plant enough water to thoroughly saturate the root ball. And that's real important that the mm-hmm. entire root ball get moisture. You yeah, know, if you're just true. pouring a t- you know a few a little bit on top so that you don't have to empty that um, thing uh-huh. afterwards. Yeah, you're not getting you're enough, not getting water, enough in water, in there. water in there. Yeah, Jim, oh, um, I know you made a comment about some ferns earlier. Um, Mary texted in on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, and she said, uh, "What kind of fern do you have around the tree in front of your yard, Jim? And how far from the tree are the ferns? Okay, themselves? Th- those are brilliant autumn ferns. Um, all but one, uh, one." slipped in there somehow <laughs> that's not a brilliance but but it's a brilliant <laughs> autumn fern there's right. always one that's not and brilliant. they they were originally planted about six inches off the base of well about mm-hmm. 12 inches off the base because now they've they've grown to where they're right at the base mm-hmm. is that you know we've been in the house 20 years now so those trees that had you know when we moved in about trunks the size of my thigh now yeah. they're the size of my waist <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's anyway. very humbling. <laughs> anyway, but, they're but really can, close to it. <laughs> so but you can plant a that a fern, a if, brilliant autumn fern. In this case, as close to the trunk as long as you, you can, can dig a hole. If you right. can make a hole in there to cram yeah. it in, it'll grow. Yeah. I mean, they're that tough. One other thing about houseplants I want to point out is to watch where you put them. We had somebody put pictures on there, uh, um, a what used to be a philodendron salome. It's now a talmatophytum <laughs> by by. Penitivitum. Uh, That's short for dead or yeah. something? No, it, <laughs> or long uh, for dead? She just had it two weeks, and it was mm-hmm. on one side. You could see the leaves were just mm-hmm. wilting, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she was wondering what, you know, if she was watering or whatever. And then there were all kinds of answers about you're overwatering or underwatering. But the fact of it was, when I looked at it, I thought, you know, that looks like it's been cooked. Mm. So I said, you know, because it was on one side, Jim. It, it was on uniform. one side. And it was at the base of the plant, yeah. not at the top mm. yeah. so much. So I said, you know, it looks like it was too close to a lamp, or it was in the floorboard of the car and got too much heat on the way home to your house. But there's looks like it's cooked. And she said, 
yep, there's a heater oh, vent there. Oh, right there. Yeah, and that's oh. what it was. It just got so much, it wilted and made that tissue look cooked. And it's going to be fine. She just needs to cut it off and, and, and move it away move from ahead. that. Yeah. That now, and one thing source. about these philodendrons, which this one is not anymore, they will drip a little bit from the tips of their foliage. Um, in fact, it's so uh, cool. Wolfgang, uh, our friend out at uh, at Gardens Oyve, chimed in and said they've got a, a big Xanadu philodendron that constantly leaks a little mm-hmm. fluid from the tips of the foliage, and that's that's quite common. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, if you get put at heat on them, it's, it's, drafts are not good for plants, okay? Whether it's cold or hot. Yeah, especially if it's, you know, really hot coming out of a heater in. Isn't that amazing? Be I careful mean, where mm-hmm. you put it. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, you don't want it too close to the, what if you have a door that has no insulation? And there's even cold air going through that. That's the like still my back door. I know. That's why I'm knowing. <laughs> it just affects the plant. Well, I mean my back door, not your back door. Well, I don't know about your way. back door. Okay. <laughs> so let's run to a break really quickly. And we'd love to get your gardening questions. Put it on Facebook Live or give us a call. You don't even have to talk on the radio if you don't want to. Claire can put the question up on the board. And we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are joining us today. 260-5926. 260-5926. Or like you said, Vader, for we went on the break, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, or go to kwmradio.com. A lot of different ways you can listen and get in touch with us this morning. Um, one thing that, we, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, is, you know, and we talked about pruning certain things this morning, like, you know, crepe myrtles, for example. You can get out there. And there's one thing, too, I want to, since you mentioned crepe myrtles, just yeah. quickly. Know a little bit about your crepe myrtles. If there's some of the new ones, like Red Rocket, yeah. uh, any of the ones, if you'll look them up, if they have wit, W H I T, and a number, you don't really want to prune those. They bloom best on second year wood. No way. Yes. Now, it's okay to take out little stuff crossing, that sort of thing. That's that's it. But if you prune them back and take those tops off, you'll end up with less flowers than you will if you'll let them grow on. So, Jim, that's a newer hybrid. Most of, yeah, uh, some of the, the black ones that, you know. Yes. But if, you, if you'll look up, you know, if you've got a dynamite or a red rocket, right. look it up. If the correct name is WIT, W-H-I-T-1 Something, or 4 right. or 7, those are from Carl Whitcomb, uh, wonderful guy, uh, who, who's who's developed these hybrid crepe myrtles. But they really prefer not to be pruned. Very, you know, that's that's really good information. I'm telling you, because there are a lot of these new hybrids that are out there. Mm-hmm. And typically speaking, you know, we've always known that crepe myrtles bloom off the same year's growth. Even the wits do the same thing. Yes. But you're saying, Jim, they actually also bloom even better off that second year growth. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want you pruning crepe myrtles back anyway, yeah. but we have to because of where they're planted, and we're learning now not to plant like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, crepe myrtle. But yeah. also, what I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, roses also. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now is just now getting the time to go out there and cut your roses mm-hmm. back. Um, you know, under, you know, one exception, I think, would be a lot of the climbing roses. You know, a lot of the old-fashioned climbing roses still bloom this year off of last year's growth. Yeah. So you don't want to go in there and just, you can take out canes, mm-hmm. the old canes that you don't Which need. Which you and, should, really. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can thin them out, um, you know, get good air circulation on these climbing roses. 
But for the most part, you don't go in there and just cut those back like you do your hybrid teas, granda floors, and floribundas. But my whole point is, if you've got rose a rose bed, including knockout roses, you can go out there starting now, this time of year, and go ahead and do your pruning. Uh, and at the same time, I always like to put, you know, go ahead and put a little lime around each rose that you have. And it's you a can, rose tone. And, it's and, got and lime go ahead and it. feed them with yeah. the good organic, like rose tone. Go ahead and start doing all of that now. Maybe even put like a little layer of compost around each one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah, we pruned ours back, and you can go to a foot, a foot down. Oh, sure. And I like to prune them at different levels instead of straight across. You need to prune them at a node. Cleaning out some of the old little branches are good. And this is like hybrid teas, grandifloras. Floribundas, Floribundas. even the shrub roses to Yeah, some you could do yeah. that, but those knockouts, just forget about it. <laughs> I but, just cannot prune those up. Well, you, but you can cut those way back also. Yeah, with a chainsaw. Oh, God. Which is not good because it rips the ends of it. You want a good, clean, you know, fresh yeah. cut. when you A sharp blade, uh, you know, when you make uh, a cut on roses. And, um, you know, like I said, go ahead and put a little lime around. Go ahead and feed them with some good uh, rose tone. And you'll be good to go this spring. Yeah, um, I do like if I'm pruning a, a like a hybrid tea that's got big canes on it. Mm-hmm. I like to put a little Elmer's glue right on Jim, the top. Jim, you're of reading it. my mind. I'm telling you, the cane bores that can get in there, which yeah. I really hadn't seen a lot of, honestly, in the last two or three years. They're still out there, and mm-hmm. it's a wasp that you know that injects the little egg right there. But if you make a fresh cut, like you said, Jim, on a lot of these roses, and don't put a little Elmer's glue on on that cut, especially on the bigger canes. And the next thing you know, that cane looks hollow in the center. Mm-hmm. That's typically a cane bore getting in there. Yeah, anything about the size of a pencil or larger, I usually put a little Elmer's glue on. A uh, little, just a little school glue works great. But don't, not don't, wax. Don't, don't, don't use, use yeah, wax. Don't use orange shellac. It looks terrible in a garden. Don't orange use, shellac. Do not use tree paint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pruning paint. Just little Elmer's glue is all it takes. But I wonder, and, and I agree, and and I, and I was, I really wrote that down because I was reading about the cane borers last night, but it made me think that, you know, some years we see a good bit of damage from mm-hmm. those cane borers that get into the roses, mm-hmm. and then some years, you know, not so much. Of course, yeah. you don't know which year they're going to really show up. But I was just curious. I was just thinking, hmm, I wonder why. You know, I really haven't seen a lot of damage from cane borers mm-hmm. in the last couple of Same, years. Yeah. <laughs> because we've had so many roses die well, maybe, roses. maybe. <laughs> yeah, that there's no roses to, yeah. to get cane borers on. Yeah, and then... When you're having your soil really healthy, having your using good nutrients, that increases the sap flow of plants. And a lot of times it makes it harder for insects, a lot of insects, Mm -hmm. to take over your plant because it's so healthy. And the sap flow is strong where it's hard for insects to actually compete with that. So So the healthier the plant? Yeah, the healthier plant. Always true. The healthier the plant... The, the less, less, less insect and disease. That's like and us, disease, yeah. you know, like humans. And then roses, you know, the garden centers will be getting roses in before too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether that's, you know, the, there again, the grandifloras, the floribundas, the hybrid teas, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah, shrub roses. And, got, yeah, shrub and even the, you know, the David Austins, which are really beautiful, highly fragrant roses. Favorites, favorites. So, but if you want to plant uh, some roses, I mean, there's really two or three things you really need to think about and keep in mind. One is they for the most part, definitely need more sun than shade. I mean, that's a given. They love as much sun as you can give them. We always talk about this is, and I can't think about something that doesn't, 
you need to have good drainage. They don't mind water. I mean, they, they really don't mind the water, but they will not set in water. Uh, so good drainage is a must also when it comes to roses. And then we talk about the pH, you know, good to lime them a little bit every year and feed them during the growing season. Roses are heavy feeders, so they're heavy, you know, bloomers. So right. uh, those simple things, you can have beautiful roses out okay, there, no so doubt. so how do you give a rose that you're planting in your garden? How do you improve the drainage? Well, you add soil amendments, Jim. Uh, or don't plant it there already. Well, <laughs> and yeah. well, I mean, our soils are clay. We all know uh-huh. that. So you have to amend that clay to create air spaces. And, and the key word there, he said, was amend, yeah. mm-hmm. not replace. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's where we see so much drainage issue is where people go, I want to put all new stuff in here <laughs> make this really dark and yeah. loamy and, you think and you're doing look the right good yeah. and it's really pretty but it won't grow roses worth a tea diddly dang yeah, yeah. Right. that's true you know? <laughs> but tea diddly they <laughs> will tea diddly but whether you're adding you know soil conditioner which is nothing more than pine fine um you know are <laughs> you know um the, the wonderful compost mm-hmm. materials uh you know that we sell Jim, Kenneth, and, we're not li- i'm watching I, no, i'm watching y'all. Being shenanigans <laughs> over there but those soil <laughs> amendments are to improve the drainage and, and they do add organic matter back to the soil also all righty stay tuned for more fun claire cut me off <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the carrots, because I'm always wanting to plant things that do more than just look pretty. The uh, carrot seeds, wildlife like them like birds and caterpillars. Um, so add that yeah, for more wildlife. One that I'm really impressed with, I planted this year, I planted a couple of them, is mm-hmm. carrot scarposa, which has the red flowers. I showed mm-hmm. y'all pictures of it, but it has a mm-hmm. real interesting seed head on it. Uh, and it's evergreen, uh, has wider blades, not very tall, uh-huh. only eight inches or so you know, tall. A lot of people use carrots in containers also. But it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful little carrots, addition. Carrots, papoose. S- scarposa. <laughs> It's it's a beautiful little um, evergreen, but the red flowers are just stunning. You know, it's unusual. Wow! So a carex with red flowers, yeah, a red seed head, red seed head, yeah. Man, that's going to be beautiful. I want to look you. that up too. All right, let's go to Sunite. Good morning, Sunite. You're in the Mid South Garden. Oh, why? Where? Why you do it? <laughs> hey, Sunite. Good morning to you, buddy. Oh man, it's good. I, I can tell uh, this sunshine hits y'all in y'all face, and y'all got motivated. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. and then uh, not only the sunshine, but now we're waiting for just a you know some warm temperatures. Hey, another month or so, we're all out there doing it, right? Yeah, and I had a little yeah, something to uh, Vedas coffee. So, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing anyway. <laughs> What's going on this morning, Mister Sunite? Well, look, I had a question for you all, and uh, I'd be surprised you know the answer to this. Some pinto beans are cooking about two hours, and then I, you can go buy another kind of bean that, that one don't cost much, and that joke will take about ten hours to cook. That's a wet and bean. Pinto. Pinto. Pinto bean. Pinto bean. Oh well, yeah. <clears throat> depends on if you rent some. It depends on what the temperature is um, set on it. I make it's the pan. I make pinto beans in a cast iron pot. 
And it only takes about four hours because I'm doing it on a medium boil. Kind of like a, you know, a black-eyed pea or a purple yeah. hall pea. You uh, have to cook them slow. Yeah, because if you cook them fast, then no, they don't work. And then add some uh, ham hock or some bacon grease mm. in there. Sunlight is worth the wait, I promise you. Uh-huh. I found out that fast cooking, you, you seem like you injure, injure the bean instead of letting it cook. You, you injured it in the process of cooking. Well, I agree well with this that. is true. This is true. I agree with that. Now, hey, you need to, you know, there this this spring, you know, plant some lima beans out there. You can plant some black-eyed peas or some purple hull purple, uh, purple <laughs> <hull> peas. <laughs> I, think I Jim, like the purples. Yeah. Purple holes. Yeah, purple hull. Um, so soon, I, you need not only, you know, yes, you can always cook your pinto beans, but there are other beans that don't take near as long to cook is my point. Yeah, that northern bean don't take uh, quite as long. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. So, I mean, listen, when times get rough, we can always go to uh, cooking beans, right? But uh, you got to make homemade cornbread with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sue Knight, for the call. We do that and about once a week, you know, or so. Have have cornbread and white beans. Mm-hmm. Man, that's I good. love that stuff. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I have to put ketchup get your on it. Tongue just to flap and d- knock your brains hey, out. That's what my grandfather yes, says. Yeah. That said, that's hilarious. Lips smacking good, he would say. That's so good, it makes the hair on your tongue stand up. But since I do, absolutely. I mean, I can cook a hot dog and probably toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really couldn't answer the tonight's question. I don't know why hot it would take so long. Toast. Sure. Well, you know, most of the meals we have are, you know, in 30 seconds or less. Yeah, yeah. that's so, the ones yeah. I like. Now, my wife, is, she's, but, you know, the wonderful cook. Now, now I, we do a pretty mean roast in a crock pot. Cook it all day, you know, with taters and, oh. and, and carrots under underneath it and... Yeah, big stick of butter on top with some gravy. You know what? I hadn't got the phone call lately either. Ooh, man, let me oh, tell you. Oh, for you to come over and have so the stew? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the really cool thing is, is if you grow, if you grow vegetables, then you can put all those vegetables uh, in your roast. Uh-huh. Or you can buy just, them taters at, at Kroger that are already washed. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> sure can. I did like it when just I had it. It is. It is fun, you know. It really is fun to do the vegetable garden, especially like after you initially put all that money into getting the soil and all that built up. And then as time goes along, it's not so expensive. Somebody asked me one time how my wife makes biscuits, and I said, well, you take the can, you go whack on the counter. (laughs) That's the way you make a biscuit? (laughs) Oh, those are those wampum biscuits. You whomped it on the counter. I thought that's the way everybody made a biscuit. I make homemade biscuits. Actually, in fourth grade, I won... The best homemade biscuit contest. No, you just brought it. Fourth grade, that may not have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, also in fourth grade, it was Your expectations a, may have been a little lower. I mean, I think mom helped a little bit. Uh. But she actually. Okay, Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. You're in the Mid South Garden. Yes, I've got a quick Christmas cactus that is just wilting and trying to die on me. Could I have given it too much water? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hold on. Where is the ca- the cactus, Barbara? Is it in a container or is it outside in a, in a bed? A Christmas it's cactus. It's in the house, dude. Christmas cactus. Oh, I'm <laughs> thinking of Christmas fern. Oh, my okay. God. Yeah, Come on, Barbara. Go ahead. Like, Kenneth, what's wrong? <laughs> anyway, it is not looking good at all, and I don't know where to try to repot it or what. Okay, I would not repot it since it's in stress, okay? I would make sure that you don't water it. Christmas cactus can go very long periods of time without water, except when they're in bloom. Mm. They need to stay moist then. Mm. 
but by nature they don't grow in soil they grow on rocks they're epiphytes they'll attach to rocks and anything else that's around so you want to be very careful with watering them uh if they're in a decorative container take it out so that Mm -hmm. it dries quickly um if you want to dry that soil out if it seems moist put it on the bathroom counter Put a towel down, turn your hair dryer on, and dry the pot out some, mm-hmm. okay? Set it off distance so that you don't burn the cactus, but you can dry that pot out. Get that soil dry, it'll start reforming some feeder roots in that soil, and that's what we're after now. Because right now it's wilting because it can't take in water. You've lost those roots. Because it's staying too because wet. Because it's staying too wet. So we want to let it dry out then and just let it go. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to look kind of puny, but eventually it should start regenerating some roots. It should start to look plumper, and you should get some new growth popping Now, out. would you even go ahead and cut it back, Jim, or just let it do its thing? You uh, know? It wouldn't hurt to just go ahead and cut it back some. And you can take those cuttings and try to root yeah, them, you know, yeah. stick them down in the soil. But, yeah, the if you take some of that off, there'll be less stress on the plant. And yeah, so it can concentrate on the root system. Right. Now, has it gone too far? Can't tell you mm-hmm. that. You're just going to have to do what we said and then wait and see, see if it yeah. recovers. And, Barbara, how long have you had the Christmas cactus? This one I haven't had, but three years maybe. Okay. Uh, and Jim, do you? Th- I mean, do you think using like a Super Thrive or a root stimulator, mm-hmm. you know, some type of a stimulant that you can, okay. you know, that you can a- a- actually next time you water, use mm-hmm. that stimulant, and mm-hmm. that would help stimulate some good root growth, Barbara. But usually, it's from inadequate drainage or just staying too wet. Yeah. Okay, I have root stimulator and Super Thrive. Cool. Yeah, Super yeah. Thrive. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, I will try that quick. And another thing, I have a. Chefalera I've had about 20 years, and I just recently moved, and it is, I have never had it drop leaves like it is mm-hmm. now. Could it be that I had it in a sunroom there? Here I've had it in a dining room that doesn't get as much light. Mm, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Okay, well, yeah, I just, just moved a, it to a bedroom. I'm hoping we'll get more light. Yeah, that's yeah a get good it idea. in front of the, uh, this time of year, if you can get in front of a south window. That would be good. That's where I put it. Yeah, okay. uh, to get it more light. It's just shedding off the foliage it can't support, and it's going to put out some new growth that may be slightly contorted. It'll look crinkly as it adapts mm-hmm. to that lower light mm-hmm. situation, but that's normal. It will eventually recover, and, and it's not ever going to be as full as it was as it, when you had it in the sunroom, but it should, should do mm-hmm. fine in that southern window. Yeah, and then when it uh, the weather gets really good, and if the plant's not really lush Robust. like you wanted yeah. it, just take it outside and part shade, and th- boy, it just grows so much quicker, mm-hmm. and then bring it back in. <laughs> okay. Well, I will do all of that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Thanks for coming, Thanks, Yeah, Barbara. let us know on that Christmas cactus. Thank you for calling us. Now, what about my, my wife had a Christmas cactus, kind of like Barbara's talking about, but she had it for many years in that same mm-hmm. container. And there again, the soil was just disappearing. Mm-hmm. You know, in the bottom of the canes that or the tissue that went into the soil looked like it had scalp on it. I mean, it was yeah. just... Uh, yeah, they did. And eventually, they? Yeah. I mean, eventually she had to repot this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, the soil level, it dropped, y'all, I'm telling you, two or three inches. Mm-hmm. It was just gone. Um, but I'm, you know, but in this case, I mean, I, Gina's pretty good at not overwatering. I mean, people learn the hard way. We all mm-hmm. do. 
But um, in the spring, she did repot this thing. But there again, she used a good, you know, high-quality cactus soil yeah. that doesn't hold too much water, and she doesn't overwater it. So now it's really rebounded. It looks great now, mm-hmm. and it bloomed really good this uh, this past year. So just like we were saying earlier, you know, about overwatering houseplants, guys, it, mm-hmm. it's easy to do. There was one. And the root stimulator helps the little root hairs grow because like when you see uh, the nice white roots the big roots which is good you want them like that but then they have little root hairs that grow off of that Mm -hmm. and that's where they pull the nutrients and the water from is little uh, root hairs and the root stimulators helping that and good organic loose soil helps those root hairs develop quicker too right and uh, you know many plants develop a relationship between fungi in your soil and those root hairs they actually have to kind of grow together for Mm -hmm. the plant to take in many nutrients and then in turn the fungus lives off some of the nutrients from the plant so it's a very tight relationship there so uh, that's, you know, when we talk about adding um, mycorrhiza to the soil, that's kind of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple, you don't want to do that much with any, uh, with azaleas or things in the ericaceae family because they don't build that relationship. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But yeah. most plants do that. And so by adding those, those micro or those fungus that are necessary for that particular plant are there to help start mm-hmm. that relationship. Right. I have that little symbiotic relationship. Just, you know, I have one of these cards that you can move. And every time you move it, it's got a different vision or a different picture on it. Well, this one. Like a a holographic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Well, this one has to do with microsia. Yeah, a microrhizal. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I always <clears throat> say it the wrong way. And okay, so it shows one picture in bad soil, and you see a lot of roots, white roots. And then you kind of tilt that picture, yeah, and you and see. Yeah, and then it shows you all the um, the good fungus. The it's all white yeah. around the big roots because it's all the mm-hmm. microsiae that's growing and the feeder roots, and they're all intertwined. So that's the whole reason for the soil web is because they need all that. It looks like a spider web, I yeah, guess. It, it, yeah. it, it's so important for that to survive. And one of the things we see here quite often, a few years back, we had two years in a row where August was extremely wet. Yeah. And that's not mm-hmm. normal. And plants like white pines that have such a relationship with that fungus, the fungus drowned because it Uh. didn't need that water in that middle of the summertime. And so we had huge white pines going backwards because of that. Uh, So it's not so much the tree got Mm overwatered, it's the fungus that got got overwatered. Okay, and then that made the tree go backwards. Right, because then all the bad fungi could actually start taking over as well. Amazing. Ken- Kenneth is a good fun guy. Yeah, yeah. thank you so I'm much. I'm a bad fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both. I'm not much fun at all. So, okay, y'all. Uh, but thank you for that post on Facebook, you know, yeah. because, you know, my life's not that interesting to me. Why would it be interesting <laughs> to anybody else? <laughs> Touche. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I just have to say Spirea. Yeah. There's so many new varieties out there that I'm in love with Spirea again. What's the one that I talked about last year? It has the red foliage on it. Mm-hmm. The double the, play. Or is it, was it? Oh, uh, that's candy corn. 
Was it candy corn? Candy corn. Oh, yeah, it goes yeah, red, so orange. You know, it's not the yeah. old spireas uh-huh. of 100 years ago that we loved no. then, okay? These, you know, not only when they're not blooming, Veda, Jim, they look great just because of their foliage. Well, there's one called Blue Cali- <laughs> Blue Kazoo. Blue yeah. Kazoo. And I don't think I've seen that in the avail- availability yet, but the foliage is slightly blue. And, of course, they lose their leaves in the winter, but... Every stage that they mm. go through is beautiful. And even just the stems and the sticks are architecturally pretty out in your landscape. So even though you don't have leaves, it's still fine. And then wasn't there a magic carpet also? Yes, yeah. magic carpet. I'm telling you, some of these newer spireas. Double play. I mean, they, they are great they really looking. Are. They, I'm telling you, I'm they're, they're good looking plants. Anthony Waterer and some of those old ones. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. They're just so much more prettier ones. They now. really are. And you can yeah. get in, even the white. They have the white. And they're lower or they're seem a little more compact and more blooms on it. And tough is everything. If you start killing spireas. It's time to do something else. I'm telling you, because it's hard to kill those things. Yeah, but one thing, particularly if you're growing like the old varieties, uh, bridal wreath and that, Mm -hmm. every three or four years, it's a good idea just to, after it blooms, cut it it all the way back to the ground. All the canes, Mm -hmm. you know, and then in the in between years when you do that, reach in each year and take out about a third of the biggest, oldest cane so that they're replaced. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a much prettier plant. Right. You know, they, they really do need to be pruned that every newer, year. You like that yeah. newer growth yeah. out there. Not, but, uh, yeah. About every five years, they just need to be renovated. Just start over. <laughs> you mean, back. yeah, shearing back and right. all. I renovated. Oh, they're so beautiful. I almost want to only have spirea in the garden center. But some of them bloom at different times as well. And also, after they bloom, you could shear them like, like a shrub, yeah. actually. Or I well, know, they kind of grow I've, like that yeah. anyway. A lot of these are more compact, mm-hmm. uh, more dwarf. Right, than but those some of your... big ones that they planted under trees that the trees were low and then these were too big you had to do something but they bloom spring they can bloom summer i've even seen them bloom in the fall but the biggest bloom late late spring yeah i think so yeah late spring is your biggest bloom time and late spring here is may (laughs) seems like may we still get these little uh ups and downs of the cool Mm -hmm. weather and i know we plant annuals like after April 15th, mm-hmm. but we sneak them in oh, yeah. the beginning well, of April. Oh, yeah. We always take that chance. You and know? last week when the weather was beautiful, somebody said, where's your petunias? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, how many times people come in right after March 15th, you know, mm-hmm. particularly when Good Friday comes early in, oh, you know, yeah. and you got March. And you got mild temperatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people, why don't you have your annuals? Because you're going to have to buy them again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're going to get a frost sometime in first of April. Right. It just it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I and guess then, the one that you could go with sooner as the petunias because they are pretty cold hardy yeah they are mm-hmm. and you know and if you do plant them early you know it looks like a frost just throw some newspaper over them or oh, the know. frost cloth i mean that's yeah you know we sell lots of that stuff who's right. got newspaper but there's so many plants like vinca zinnias mm-hmm. uh, tomatoes you don't gain anything planting in cold mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm. they're going to sit there if they survive right uh, and then you know until it gets warmer it's all and, and like we just said you know typically around here the frost date is april 15th and i mean we can get a frost 
up to that date, in fact, uh-huh. I think the last four or five or six years, we've had them on the 16th and That's 17th. What, yeah, yeah, we you know, have. So you're right. And like Jim just said, you don't want to put a lot of tender stuff out there before that mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, we can put uh, kohlrabi seeds in the ground, lettuce seeds. Yeah, the cool weather plants. Mm-hmm. We got some plants in yesterday, baby. Yeah. strawberries yeah. and cabbage and those kind of mm-hmm. things. Or you can do the seed starting mm-hmm. right now. But those are cool weather plants. Right. You know, it's a good time to start your turnip seed, kale, any of the greens like that, mustard, you should be able to start right now. Now, and they'll do fine in cooler temperatures. Mm -hmm. uh, And they'll, you know, you can harvest until it starts to get hot. You know, I think you always have a longer, cooler season in the fall than mm-hmm. you do in the spring. But this is the only other time that you can yeah. get away with planting those type of vegetables. I have actually thrown uh, frost cloth or shaded them uh, in the hot afternoon sun because we're nice and springy and then we're really hot. Yep. Oh, let's go to Dwight. Good morning, Dwight. You're in the Mid-South Garden. And we only got a couple of minutes yet. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm, I'm over years ago, I've said this story before, but I had a little business in uh, Fraser, and uh, I bought. I, I like to have several plants in there, and I bought a purple passion, mm-hmm. just in a normal size uh, hanging basket, and uh, yeah. it, it was beautiful. And then it started blooming, which I understand is not automatic. Right? Yeah. But but uh, I thought at some because it had beautiful blooms and foliage and all. Well, it was uh, I. Looked at it before. There wasn't anything in there but roots, and so uh, no uh, no dirt left. So I thought, well, you know what? I'd like to take this to the fair and uh, get me a nicer pot and everything. Put some new uh, soil in it. When I did that, it stopped blooming. <laughs> and at that time, uh, Dan West was on, and I called him. Yeah. And he said, "What happened is that uh, you know." Uh, it was no longer under stress, yeah. and I didn't yeah. realize that. And yeah. so it stopped blooming. And so, uh, but anyway. Oh, I that's always, disappointing. So it quit blooming before you could get it to the fair. And it reminds me of wisteria. A lot of times we have to go out there and do some root pruning around mm-hmm. wisteria to get it to bloom because you're threatening the plant, yeah. you know, with death. Okay. All right, hey, Dwight. Do you have one second? Yes. Yeah. All right, listen, about this last week, and it happens every once in a while. You know, outages from frozen and everything. I wonder if the Okay, I'm sorry thing. we've got to run. Thanks. I thought we had more than a second. Please call back next yeah. week. We will see y'all in the garden.